Kia ora whanau and everyone here. If you're not from Timaru, I'm the lovely Miss Andy. Hi. Thanks everyone for coming down to the stand at the council 11 to 1 every day for four months. You know, it was real hard out, it was real hard and you did a really awesome job everyone for standing up and saying yeah. So um, if you didn't hear the song while we were down at the stand, um, this is a song that I wrote 10 years ago after I read a book called Behold a Pale Horse by Dr William Cooper which outlines everything that we've all been going through and this beautiful crew that have pulled into town tonight, big hands. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for doing what you do. I'm a single mum with no money so I couldn't do what you guys are doing but I'd love to and I dreamed about it and now you're here which is awesome. So this is a song called Breathe. Still great trees are falling Tears of shame are flowing down Your river of greed Mother Nature tries to tell us Natural law and order Timeless truth again Alright team, can we please get a big round of applause for Calvin Alp and Hannah Schmieder from Counterspin Media. <laughs> wow, Timaru, nice to see you all. Thanks for coming, such an amazing crowd. Give yourselves all a massive round of applause turning out tonight. I actually thought there'd just be some sheep and cows here, to be honest. <laughs> but I love this venue. Um, it's just so quintessentially New Zealand. And um, this is what a massive part of the tour has been about, is coming to the local communities and seeing what New Zealand is really about, talking to real Kiwis and hearing from you what uh, your concerns are in your community. So massive thanks to Carl and also massive thanks to William for um, making this all happen tonight. Yeah. They've just tried to cancel us in Dunedin, um, so that's a bit of a shame, but that's working its way up the board apparently, so apparently we're all white supremacists. And um, again, no matter how many times we prove otherwise, of course no one's got any evidence of this, and we have a multitude of different races with us, so I'm not sure how that works out, but apparently it does. Yeah, so obviously censorship is one of the biggest problems in this country at the moment. Um, and I think the uh, trust in the media is now down at 45%. So um, does it really make you wonder when... 4.5. Is it 4... <laughs> so, um, yeah, censorship is a big issue. They just don't want us discussing different ideas. They don't want to hear about the truth of, obviously, the effects of... Um, what I call a bioweapon uh, that's being rolled out, um, it certainly is definitely not a vaccine with uh, the vaccinated now I think three times as likely to end up in hospital, or the, uh, the boosted, the triple jabbed, uh, with this so-called whatever this COVID is. Um, so yes, yeah, censorship is a big issue. Um, what else, what's another big issue? That Apart from people dying all over the place. We, all, we hold polls everywhere we go because we don't know and trust Colmar Brunton or any of those idiots. So what we'll do is, in fact, we'll do that now. What we'll do is we'll ask a couple of poll questions. You raise your hands if it applies. And then we get you to hold it there for a moment. 
And we let Jacinda and her team know that these are real polls because these are by real people, not phone your friend ones. And um, so if you want to ask the questions, we'll, we'll get a gauge of exactly what's happening here because this is happening and playing out across the country. And this is why they're trying to shut us down because your voice is getting heard finally. So how many of you here who um, have lost a job or um, lost an education position because you were mandated? Quite a few. Yeah, that's that's and that's we're seeing that all across the country. How many of you know somebody who's been adversely affected by this so-called vaccine? They were started to put their hands up before wow. you even finished the sentence. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's huge. Massive. Believe me, you're not alone. It's everywhere. The carnage is real. And how many of you know somebody who, ha within a short period, has actually passed away because of the vaccine? It's not a vaccine. And of course, you know what I mean when I say that. <laughs> so, Jeff. Yeah, very, very, very sad. Look at all those hands. And then we also like to ask, how many of you know somebody who has died of COVID? That's what the medical establishment told you. Nobody. Okay, so none Silence. of you know anybody who's died of COVID. Okay, how many of you have actually had COVID yourself? And you're still alive. Look at that. <laughs> Wow, you've all got healthy immune systems. You've all had the cold or influenza. That's it. Yeah. I'll say it again because no one's getting it through their heads. COVID-19 is a brand name like Chanel Number no. 5 or Mount Blanc Explorer, which I'm wearing now. Um, no, we're not endorsed by them. Uh, or, or something like Nike. SARS-CoV-2 has never been isolated from any patient anywhere in the world. This is an absolute unequivocal fact. We keep inviting the government to prove us wrong. They have not been able to do it. Have you seen any article that, that is attacking us that says they're wrong because and providing evidence? There's not one because they know we're right. And they don't like the fact that we keep asking for you all to see the Pfizer contract that you've been signed up to, where she has to meet certain KPIs, which has jabbed the shit out of you. And the trailer carnage is proving exactly what it is. Again, if anyone can show me that this is safe and effective, by all means do so. But all we've heard is crickets all the way down, all the way around the country. And it's actually heartbreaking when you see the tears flowing from people's eyes when they're recounting the fact that they were once healthy and now their life is in complete turmoil. Or they say, my mother was fine, she got jabbed, two weeks later she passes away. She was fine up until the only foreign component introduced into the equation, which was the jab. They talk about comorbidities. Some people are walking comorbidities all their lives. Introduce the jab, they die. But what do they blame? The comorbidity, except the thing that set it all off and killed them. And this is never spoken about on the media because they have a vested interest and get paid to lie through their teeth. Just like Jacinda gets paid to bullshit and lie through her teeth. And it has to be one big lie to get through those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love it how you say things that everybody else is thinking. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so censorship, um, there's no freedom of thought anymore, and of course uh, we lost our freedom of, um, our, our, our rights to travel where we like, um, what else are we losing, you know. How, how many of you here actually met, uh, went to Wellington? 
Did any of you make it across to Wellington for the, the amazing protest there? And what about Picton? I know a lot of you got up there as well. Awesome. So uh, if you would have experienced that um, in the way that we did, we just it was just amazing to see humanity coming together and to know that despite all of the darkness, um, hu humans still have a really big heart for one another and we want to look after each other and take care of each other. And isn't it surprising how much uh, we can take self-responsibility when the government is not actually trying to control us? And I think that people's spirits were lifted in Wellington and of course the um, devastation with the police and all those politicians not wanting to come out and speak to us was absolutely heartbreaking. So uh, a big part of this tour is to just reconnect communities and get people back together in the same room because when we are connecting we can talk about ideas, we can, we can come up with plans of how we can actually take self-responsibility in our communities and continue to have freedom and that, that's actually what they don't want um, and unfortunately they're trying everything they can to shut us down, but the great news is that they won't. Um, we will keep going, and we do keep going, and um, hopefully we can talk, just have civil conversation tomorrow with these people at the Dunedin um, venue, and actually, sh you know, show, ask them, where's your evidence that we are white supremacists? You know, you can't just... Apart from a haircut. <laughs> You can't shut communities down from from talking and having their um, voices heard and coming together purely on rumour and speculation because, of course, they have these troll armies. Do you all know about the troll armies on Facebook? So they have these special dedicated pages set up to try and discredit anybody that's got an alternative opinion or that is speaking the truth, and then they encourage their followers to go and ring up the venues and so a venue may get five or ten phone calls and they think oh it's all these different people in the community but actually it's this one group that could be anywhere in the country um, and they just have to say one or two lines obviously they know the words to say and then of course the venue gets very um, wary and they get very anxious um, and now this poor woman who we booked through she's actually very lovely she's got the papers wanting to speak to her now so she's of course um, feeling the heat and it will all be blamed on her if, you know, these white supremacists turn up and try and cause an overthrow. I don't know what they expect. But um, they've all been events like this and uh, it's been great. We've had um, amazing stories being told. I don't know, are you all familiar with Mount Messenger, what's happening up there with the bypass? So poor Tony Pasco, um, he's been... Um, he's been put under a lot of pressure from um, NZTA and different um, Corrupt organisations who are trying say. to screw everyone. <laughs> yeah, so they're wanting to put this whole new bypass in um, that's going to destroy, I think, 90 hectares of native bush and animals. And all they need to do was an upgrade of another route and it would cost a lot less money for the New Zealand taxpayer and uh, it would be safe. But um, because there's certain interests involved that want these contracts, um, He's been put under a lot of pressure and they're trying to force him off his land. Um, so that's a big story that is kind of... It, actually, you can find it in mainstream media. They, they have reported on it, but um, it's, it's stories like that that we're hearing. Or um, Graham Phillip, have any of you heard that story that we've talked about? He's a man that's been incarcerated since December the 8th. And... Um, we're still trying to find out what's happened. There's a lot of suppression about his case, but he was speaking out against COVID. Um, and obviously they didn't like what he had to say. So we're just trying to get um, his story out uh, and his wife's very concerned. So hopefully she's now got good legal a good legal team so they can at least get him out on bail because they had put him, they denied bail twice and put him into high security 
um, with a um, attempted murderer and then they put him into isolation because apparently COVID broke out and he wasn't allowed out uh, because he wouldn't wear a mask. And he had a broken window, so they said, well, you get enough fresh air through the broken window. So. And she gets t- uh, five minutes a week to spend with him on the phone. Uh, he's 61 years old, never been in trouble with the law before, double-degreed author. He just, another one like us who have had enough and decided to speak out. Apparently that's not allowed. It's against the agenda. So farmers will know that, all about the agenda. It's a great reset, you know. You'll learn nothing and be happy about it. That's why they're coming after your farms with the SNAs, significant natural areas where they make you pay to cordon it all off. They make you pay for its upkeep, but you can't utilize it. So therefore your farm becomes less productive and that's how they'll get you off. It's happening all over the country. And of course, everyone's fighting their own individual battles, not realizing it's all part of a massive scheme, hitting everyone at once. And that way, no one creates an organized resistance. Well, this is what it should be. You should all be coming together with one goal in mind, remove the pricks in Wellington. They're parasites. That place needs to be fumigated. I've said it more than once, I'll say it again. It's a criminal organization. The beehive needs to be cordoned off, records preserved, and used in cases to put these pricks up for crimes against humanity and a whole host of others. Absolute fact. And I'll say that without any fear of contradiction. I'll say it without any fear of contradiction, and because we put these out, they can come after me for defamation. I have the evidence. And by through discovery and a court case, I'll get the rest. So bring it, Jacinda. So um, Jacinda, talk, she likes to talk about, you know, everyone who went to Wellington was being inspired by uh, imported ideology. And yet, where does, where does socialism, where does that ideology come from? Where does communist ideology come from? And there she was uh, having a meeting with BlackRock. So where's the BlackRock ideology coming from? And apparently ASB Bank uh, has a huge investment. Um, or Kiwi Bank as well. Um, BlackRock is investing in KiwiSaver. Did you know that? I only found that out yesterday. I had no idea. The other thing, do you guys know about ghost farms? I had not heard of ghost farms either. So what ghost farms are about is um, apparently Fonterra, when they um, clean out the, the, the milk... Uh, processing plants with all their chemicals they then take that chemical waste and they go and spray it on the fields of these farms that they have taken all the cows away from and and that and that gets into the water table and that's actually really destructive to our water and you farmers get blamed for it yeah so they slowly take away that the cows and nobody really realizes that these farms are being basically decommissioned and then they're becoming a, a dumping ground for the waste uh, that's actually very toxic so that's another thing that um, I hadn't heard about. It is in mainstream media um, about a year or two ago, but it seems to get washed under the, or shoved under the carpet, and then farmers are getting blamed because then then they say, oh, and then add on top of that the urine from the cows, and of course that is a complete disaster. And it's like, well, how about we just don't put you know these toxic chemicals into the earth in the first place? I mean, and. Yeah, so you all know, you all come from farming communities and you know the pressure that farmers are under. And this is definitely a um, plan to get us all eating cockroaches and fake meat. Yep. And I used to be a vegetarian and I've also been a vegan in my life. So that was a hard pill to swallow. To sure re- as anyone could be saved. <laughs> 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 to realise that um, 
there is a massive agenda to get us to stop. You know, and farmers really are the backbone of our country. They always have been, and they've created this fake divide between the rural and the urban, and they want urbanites to somehow blame farmers for everything and that, you know, cows farting is somehow going to make the world explode. Yeah. Well, um, we know that's just not true. And you're speaking to a reformed Greenpeace, Green Party activist, so, you know, if I can have a change in heart, surely um, we can somehow get the truth out to the rest of them that like to believe the lies. <laughs> what? Unless you're reformed. <laughs> but... What they've done to make you believe that the farmers... Look, let's face it, we all know there's, there are a couple of rogue farmers in the country. But in comparison to the good farmers who actually have farming land that's been in their family generations, no one's going to shit in their own nest. They're not going to live in their own filth. Because you aren't a river of filth, you know, regardless of what the government says. What they did when they tested all the waterways, they took the 6% of the worst ones, they tested those. What they didn't tell you was that most of the water that comes into the farmer's land actually leaves cleaner than when it entered. They take the readings up in the avian areas where the birds shit and all that sort of stuff, and that's where you're getting all your high readings of nitrates and all that type of thing. So it's not the farmers at all. But they won't tell you this. There's evidence of it. We can show the, their fake reports and we can destroy it. But you've just got to remember that they are hell-bent on an agenda they're hell-bent on making you battery farm humans, where you, at the moment, you think you're free-range, but they'll be battery farm humans. You're, you will be the hardware, walking hardware, and your jab will be a software upgrade every six months or a year. And this is the plan. How many jabs do you think they've got ready to roll out? In Australia, they bought seven for every eligible person to be jabbed. Now, we're waiting to get this Pfizer contract. That will blow the lid on a lot of stuff. And we know that there's good police out there, I mean, hard to believe after Wellington. And the pepper spray wasn't nice, I can tell you that right now. And I tell you what, that milk doesn't work. <laughs> it really doesn't. It takes, it takes it from your face into your eye. Stings like a mother. Although my mother's awesome. Like a father then. Um, so yeah, just for the record, I am a mummy's boy. <laughs> Do you all know um, what transhumanism is? Have you all... Who knows, yeah? Put, just put your hand up so we can kind of get an understanding, yeah. So transhumanism is um, what they're talking about is basically putting the technology into the body. So Elon Musk has already talked about putting microchips in to help with you know, um, disabilities or addictions and all sorts of things. Or if you lose a limb, then you can, they can give you a, an, a bio, what do they call it, like a bionic arm or a bionic leg. So they want us all to be hooked up to um, the Internet of Things. Uh, so then obviously the smart houses have your whole house hooked up to the internet and they can kind of monitor everything and everything. I mean they say it, they always say it's for convenience isn't it? So when you're driving home you can put the heater on or you can get the TV going. But it's all to, to monitor and censor and then when the technology's in your brain, uh, yeah, who knows what can happen then. But um, it's, it's a real, yeah, if you, if you want to know where it's going, it's transhumanism. Um, and the other thing that I'd quite like to just, touch on briefly is the other programming that they're rolling out which has been going for a number of decades now and it's called feminism. Is there anybody here who uh, wouldn't like me to say my thoughts on feminism? It wouldn't matter because we'll say it anyway. <laughs> but um, to me feminism um, is, is basically a program that has been designed to destroy the family and um, 
it tries to make us believe that there's no difference between men and women. But uh, neurologically and scientifically, there is a difference between men and women. Um, we are not all the same, obviously. I don't need to tell you all that. But this is what they're trying to do with the trans rollout with the children and trying to confuse the genders. Have you? Is that happening in your schools yet? Yeah, yeah so that's a real concern. Uh, we've got no problem with, you know, if you're an adult and you feel like you want to see what it's like on the other side of the fence by all means but what they're doing to children I would equate to um, child abuse and that is because this the reason why this type of stuff is being allowed to happen is because women have um, been conditioned to believe that staying at home and raising the family is not enough and they and with um, what's happened with Jacinda and the way that she was lauded after having had her baby in office and, and carrying on with her most important job, apparently, running the country, uh, that sends a message again to women that staying at home and being a mum is, is not important. And um, any of you who have had children know how important those early years are. And that if you're not at home with your children, then um, if you're handing them off to kindergarten or state um, organisations, it's going to be the state agents that are raising your children. So um, I would like to start a national conversation about toxic femininity. Uh, we've been talking about toxic masculinity for decades um, and we are still not allowed to talk about toxic femininity. And what does toxic femininity look like, you may ask? Well, I suggest we start looking at our Prime Minister. Um, the gaslighting, the lying, the fake kindness, um, just the psychological manipulation and abuse that's been going on for the last few years is like um, Stockholm Syndrome. You know, it's like we're, we're in a toxic relationship um, and that kind of stuff is very, very concerning because you're not allowed to talk about that. Female uh, abuse is, is, is psychological, it's emotional, it can't be seen. Obviously male abuse is physical. So. Um, yeah, that's just a thought that I've been kind of seeding out there because um, it's the problem in this country, isn't it, that men are no longer allowed to be men. Um, I reckon. And women have um, been made to feel like their only place in the world is in the office or in a career, when I'd like to suggest that maybe we can start reseeding ideas into our girls that it's okay to be at home and it's okay to raise children, and that's a worthwhile task in life. In fact, it's the most important one, in my opinion. So you're going to cook me those eggs, then? <laughs> yes, honey, I'll cook you those eggs. Brilliant. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Another thing, of course, is your climate change. As you know, they're ramping that up again. Um, if you believe the historical climate change argument, you should all be flapping around on your lawn with gills right now because you should have been about 20 feet underwater. That ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. Um, climate change, they, they used to call it global warming. They realised that it wasn't flying because none of the scientific data backed it. So they called it, first they started global warming, didn't work. So global warming, climate change together, just like New Zealand and Aotearoa together now. And then they're trying to cut off the New Zealand part just to make it the other. But that's how they do it. It's, it's called transitioning and message adjustment. So now you're getting climate change. You look out your window every day, the climate changes. So that's a no-brainer. But as far as CO2, CO2 is what your grass needs, it's what your trees need, it's what all your uh, vegetables and all your bloody orchards need. Without that, your food chain breaks down, you starve and you die. So the Greenies haven't thought that one through to the end. Another one is a manufactured fuel crisis. It's a manufactured fuel crisis. In fact, um, this 
food shortage, manufactured field crisis, it's all by design. Everything is by design. There's so many groups focusing on one of these things, they're not standing back from a bird's eye view and seeing that it's all part and parcel of the one drive. Your subjugation, not a law gets passed that actually gives you an ounce of freedom. It's all about restriction, governing and subjugation. None of it. Your Bill of Rights, well that might as well be used as toilet paper because that doesn't work. You need a constitution to enshrine it and make it ultimate so any law passed, that way you can have your democracy. Democracy is mob rule anyway, 51%, the rest get told what to do. But if you've got um, a constitution, sound constitution that protects your rights and freedoms, then no law passed can, be, can violate the rights of the individual because this is all about individualism. Now most isms are crap, communism's crap, capitalism's crap, but capital's fine. Community is fine. We're all social creatures. That's fine. Add the ism and it's bad. So it's watch all the isms. It's corporate capitalism, isn't it? That's the problem. When yeah, you've well, got well, foreign all, all capitalism is, is corporate-centred control. Communism, state-centred control. Either way, you're controlled. That's the problem. So we've got to look at these things properly. And if I were a voting person, I would not vote for any single party currently in Parliament or any one of those parasites or any of those little hang-ons either. There's some good people out there with some good hearts. Unfortunately, the system is rigged. There's no way in hell she got voted in legitimately. In fact, I think to say over the last few decades, elections have been rigged to hell. All they've got to do is have the voting rolls. Who registers to vote, but who doesn't naturally vote? Then they've got votes that they can put in. Simple as that. I would, suggest, I would suggest, pants man, remember? I, <laughs> I will suggest, I would suggest, Cut off queen. Uh, I'd suggest every time, if you're going to go and vote, take a photo of your ballot paper. Take a photo before you cast it. And then someone will call for all the photos to be sent in. Then we'll do a proper count. And I guarantee it's completely different. Well, I was just going to say about Marsden Point. We should yeah. highlight what they're doing up at Marsden Point to save the refinery. Yeah. So that's a real problem, isn't it? That we don't have our own capabilities now to refine our own oil. Yeah. In fact, we should be building another one down here in the South Island because the Great South Basin has got more oil in that than, than most of the Middle East. That was already mapped in 1967 by Nelson Bunker Hunt from Hunt Petroleum. So what do they do? They drill and they cap it. Because I'd rather say to you uh, some, it's gonna be derogatory, but I won't, some person in the Middle East or someone somewhere in Europe has fired a weapon and yelled some phrase and all of a sudden we have to raise all the prices. Like at the moment, it's the Ukraine. The whole Ukraine thing's a have. It's another psychological operation. A lot of those people in the Ukraine should be bombed the shit out of. It's just a fact. That's the, bed, that's the European center for money laundering, corruption, trafficking, you name it. And that's why they're going after those biolabs as well, that yes, we're funded by the CIA. Hey, and you guys have got your own biolab here, right in Timaru. Did you know about that? Right no. in the heart of deep state uh, rollout. So, so what, yeah, and, and that's another thing, because we were going to try and go there and ask them a few questions. Um, they're meant to be doing their own COVID-19 vaccine. So obviously, they're going to keep that, milking that a while, monkeypox, whatever you want to rename it, Omicron and all that. Um, you got, I'll just ask them, well, where's, where's your virus that you're going to be so-called inoculating against? You don't have it. So what are you actually going to be putting into people? That should be um, a little more light shone on that. And if you have an isolated virus, how can you create a so-called vaccine for it? And then, 
you suddenly had the list, Delta, Omicron, and whatever the hell they want to say, and yet they already had the boosters, but they're saying get your boosters because it'll save you from that. But they're around before these other things bloody were named. So how does this gonna work? See, common sense, logic, and reason seems to have taken a back seat, and stupidity reigns supreme, exactly. And it's, the other thing, incredible. of course, um, that we're experiencing in local body councils is the three waters. So uh, the taxpayer union yeah. and the um, groundswell will ha um, have a roadshow as well coming up. So, uh, of course, um, the co-governance issue, uh, where they are putting people on these boards without having elections. And this is, again, more uh, division that the government is creating. They're doing it at a national level as well with the healthcare system. Um, and it's all part of the UN agenda and the indigenous rights, that's how they're kind of bringing it in. And they're trying to say anybody that speaks out against that or questions it is a racist. And we know it's not true. It's just like what happened to free and fair elections. Anybody can be part of these things, but why is it now all of a sudden it depends what the colour of your skin is that you get, um, you get more rights. And that's the whole thing that we're supposedly, we were supposed to be past that decades ago. And we can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, most so-called Māori are not in favour of it. It's only the iwis. And the iwis are a corporate creation. They've got nothing to do with Māori at all. Māori have always been about hapu whānau. That's it. Iwis are a late corporation and they'd only ever come together in times of war. That's how that all works. But now that you've got a few Johnny-come-latelys who decide, oh, I, I trace back because my uncle's budgie's bloody fish used to swim in that thing, so therefore I've got rights to it. Well, okay, well, let's, uh, let's look at the archives here in New Zealand to show who was here first. What are you Okay, well, we could probably be here all night, Kelvin. Um, so we, without... Aren't we? Yeah, well, uh, we've got some anyway. other people that we'd love to um, bring yes. on. And uh, William Bissett is going to be the MC for the rest of the evening. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back to um, say goodnight at the end. Yeah? Legends. All right, thanks, William, and um, thanks for coming, everyone. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Calvin. And uh, thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. What a, what a great crowd and what a lovely location. It is a real privilege to be able to be the MC tonight. We've got some excellent speakers. And um, I just thought I'd give a bit of a background. Um, I first was introduced to Calvin for the New Zealand Medical Symposium that was done a year or so ago. Uh, it was about a six hour online presentation with lots of doctors and I had the privilege of interviewing lots of doctors and we had about plus 70,000 computers logged in so it was quite a quite a big event and I never really thought much more about Calvin uh, until one day he phoned and said can I use the clinic in Christchurch to interview some doctors and um, so cutting a long story short uh, I invited them both for a, a barbecue and I had a pretty good opinion of Calvin to begin with and without you know, expanding his head too much further, my opinion got higher and higher and higher, and I thought, God, this guy is a really educated man. Like, there's nothing I could throw at this guy that, that he, he knows so much about history. And then I actually realised truly what they're trying to do. Um, and so what I did is I thought, gosh, how can I, how can I help these people? So um, I, I suggested maybe I could perhaps make some videos and interview some doctors and professionals. Um, and who's seen the video I made with uh, Philip and I? It was, it was titled "The uh, You Know 80 Year Old Mathematician." Yeah, uh, went really well, didn't it? Um, it, was, it was excellent. And Philip's talking here tonight, 
which is great. And so, um, so that was sort of my contribution. And then, um, very last minute, I was asked to be the MC at their the function like this, but in Christchurch. And I was actually quite blown away. And some of the staff stayed at the clinic because I had the room. And I learned a few things. Um, I, I, I learned the integrity of what these people are all about. You know, we, we have had people just put their hand up and, and help. Um, these, these people are, you know, um, just, just uh, their motivation is, is there to um, expose the lies of the government. Now, what, what, are the, what are the three things that the government has and uses that we don't. What are the three things? Media. Aha, uh -huh. yep, media. Lies. Well, yep, yeah, and they use that through the media. They've got money. And what are the, and then they use a key critical component. Fear. Fear. So um, how can we retaliate this? As an individual, how can you actually do anything about this? Uh, and so what we have, Counterspin Media, of course, is is the media, and uh, they're not promoting fear, they're, they're, they're trying to educate you. The only thing is they don't have the money, which is a big problem. And they've got seven vehicles, including a bus, traveling around uh, the New Zealand. They've got all this equipment. Uh, they're bringing to you live feeds, uh, this type of information. Who watched all the uh, live feeds of the Wellington protests? Where, where, where do we find that? Counterspin Media. And it's all done on a shoestring budget. So what I really encourage you to, to think about tonight is they've got donation boxes, they've got uh, some products for sale to help raise donations. Because it's really easy to go through life and, and get really wound up about you know politicians, or get really wound up about our freedoms being lost and we might rant and rave, but you know what are we doing about it? It's actually hard for an individual to do something about it. So that's where we need to support leaders like Calvin and Hannah, who also support other leaders and trying to bring things together. Would that be a fair enough comment? Yes. Yep, yep. Um, you know, we all know about the, the analogy of the, of the, you know, the pot boiling and, if, and if, the, if it's cold and you boil it slowly, the frog dies. We know that analogy. Now, I'm guessing you guys jumped out of the pot. Would that be a fair enough statement? Yeah. Um, have you have you have you sort of identified in the last year um, how much truth that has you've been discovered and how much lies that you've been fed from a child? It's, it's quite shocking, isn't it? And for those um, who've gone down the rabbit hole, wow, this is this is quite incredible. And when you learn the truths about the corporation, the government, uh, and what they and and the freedoms that they're trying to take away from you slowly. And if we let them, they'll, they'll have their success. Who's actually a little bit worried about what's going on at the moment with Davos? Yeah, quite a few. So what can we do about it? Well, we, we make sure that we support local groups like this, and there's a number of them. And uh, very soon, Hadley's going to talk, and he's going to uh, talk about a few things that, uh, you know, some ideas that he's got, which is good. And then Philip's going to talk, and then I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about, um, I run a, a, a couple of clinics. I've been dealing with a lot of vaccine damage a lot of shedding. So I'm going to talk about what I've discovered um, and some practical things that uh, have, have helped my clients. So it sounds all good, doesn't it? So um, uh, it's all about supporting uh, these groups. There's a lot of groups. It would be good if a lot of these groups could uh, band together and support one another. 
Uh, and I'd love to invite Hadley. Hadley's going to talk for about 20, 25 minutes and there'll be some opportunity to ask him some questions. So please welcome Hadley. Good to see you all here. Nice turnout. Very well done. I wasn't, um, I wasn't really looking forward to coming and talking when these guys were talking about these people who are disappearing and these people who are standing up and talking about the government behind their back and some of us are brave. All of you guys are brave. You're here. You're awake. You're not going back to sleep. So um, we'll have a bit of a story to tell. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick brief on me. Um, 46, uh, seven children. Um, I did have TV, but it, um, it's, not, it's not true, that story, eh? That doesn't work. Um, I noticed straight away something happening when um, when COVID hit. There was an instant spiritual feeling uh, come across me. Um, I, was, I was raised actually in a church. I was raised in a Catholic church, unfortunately. But fortunately for the uh, for the uh, some of the information, the biblical information I was given. Um, but I was no longer with the church and. Um, I have been uh, practicing my Christianity just with my family and in Pentecostal Church from time to time. And I'm very aware of uh, a, a book called Revelation in the Bible, which um, some of you would have heard of, and there's a lot of rhetoric around, uh, around that Bible stuff as we um, go through these current times. That spiritual stir I got when um, COVID was bestowed upon us um, kind of prompted me to to get into the research and break away from my daily life uh, and spend more time investing in searching for the truth. And um, I worked with a lot of different freedom groups. I've worked with uh, um, NZDSOS. I, um, I did a bit of time with Billy Tikahika and um, Jamie Ross just in their uh, Advanced New Zealand group right back at the beginning. Um, so there's been, um, I've been subject to a lot of information, but the reason I'm here tonight to talk to you guys is um, is one of the things that I have learned uh, over the last two years um, is that New Zealand has the potential to be holding uh, the Holy Grail, which could be um, our saving grace in this time. Now, it's a long shot. Everyone's looking for a silver bullet. All the different freedom groups have got their ideas, whether it's to get into the political realm and try and beat it and bring it down, or whether it's some other form. But um, what I learned about was that New Zealand was a sovereign nation before the Crown came, uh, before the Treaty of Waitangi. We were a internationally recognised sovereign nation. So we were Aotearoa Nuturini, which stood for New Zealand, New Territory. And we were blessed and respected uh, by King William. Um, and King William had this um, passion and this love for the Māori people, for the people of New Zealand, from people of Aotearoa back then. And um, had been the Māori had been doing a bit of trade with, um, with uh, the Crown and, and other international trade around the world. And, there was a, an issue that arose when they went, I think it was to Australia, and they'd got into the port, but they didn't have a flag. And of course, 
international waters, no flag, there was a bit of trouble went down. So, so King William, with the respect that he had for the Māori people, um, sent his best naval captain to New Zealand, Colonel Busby, and he came to New Zealand and helped create the sovereign nation of Aotearoa. Um, a lot of you would have seen this flag flying. Uh, this is the flag, the United Tribes flag. This is the original United Tribes flag. Not the original. But this is the accurately purveyed one. Um, when I started to learn about it, I sort of thought, oh, I've learned so much about the Māori and I've, I'm really not sure that the stories I'm hearing have been accurate. So I, I went down a rabbit hole and I learned a lot from Billy and then I learned a lot through a group that I was affiliated with after Billy came out of politics and I kept in touch with Billy a bit on it. Um, then I did some more research just of my own. I see there's a lot of internationally recognised stuff about the Heifakaputanga, which is the Declaration of Independence of New Zealand. That was the original article written in, in 1835, which gave us our sovereignty, or gave Aotearoa its sovereignty, the people of New Zealand. Um, essentially what happened was the Crown recognised New Zealand as God's own. King William loved New Zealand, it had no um, vicious animals or, or snakes or creepy crawlies. He, he just loved, loved the Māori people, loved the, the, the way they traded, um, the goods that they traded with, gave them their independence. But there was also a, 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 an allegiance where the Crown were able to settle in New Zealand. Now, if you can imagine a, a, a small country with a few cultural people, the original people, all of a sudden you get this influx of settlers, you're going to get a, an imbalance happening. And um, the imbalance led to lots of land wars and, and um, murders and so forth. So I'm just going to keep the story kind of going. I'm not going to go into too much detail of factual stuff, like it's going to be factual but not too deep into certain things just so we can get this moving but essentially those wars led to a treaty having to be signed um, and so the Treaty of Waitangi was, was drafted up and it was essentially drafted to give the Crown um, a little bit of power so that they could bring sort of democracy and prohibit these wars from continuing and allow the Māori to carry on doing what they did under their sovereign governance. However, like anything that um, the Crown touches, um, it, it kind of was fraudulently acted and um, stuff happened and essentially the Crown ended up growing into what, what New Zealand is today. Um, some of the 33 tribes that signed the the original Heifakapudunga um, document, they they felt compelled to sign the Treaty of Waitangi. They they believed that it would would potentially um, bring peace, that there would be fairness, that there would be you know equality, um, which it didn't do, unfortunately. Um, so so some of these um, tribes people who who signed the original document. Um, switched uh, 
and decided to stand under the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, it's cre it created a lot of division amongst the Māori people, um, and because the Māori people were already a small portion of the cultural nation of New Zealand, um, a lot of them stayed up in Northland and just kept to their own. Waitangi is a very sacred place, um, and there's a lot of history, a lot of gross history, um, but there's also a lot of beautiful history. The cultural history is actually really beautiful. So, fast forward a little bit of time, the Hei Whakaputanga kind of disappears into history. The Treaty of Waitangi is given its, its this, this power. Everybody grows up in this culture of New Zealand uh, under this particular document called the Treaty of Waitangi. So we all learn about this at school and we get all this information, but we don't learn about the original sovereign nation of New Zealand, of, of Aotearoa, behind it. And, um, and the Māori people still stand in that truth. They, they never signed the treaty, the, the ones that stand under, the, un, under that living document. Um, so today, that particular document is now being spoken about widely. There's been some wonderful podcasts done. There was a podcast done by a, a man, he's a um, filmmaker and producer, his name is Dan Hensman. Um, it's circulating uh, around the internet at the moment. It's probably one of the most comprehensive breakdowns. It would be the one listen that you could listen to that would give you that matrix plugin that gives you full understanding of the deceit behind it and how that particular thing has been hidden, that particular article has been hidden. So I learned a lot about it and I was very, very iffy until I stood at Wellington. And when I stood at Wellington, I noticed that the police weren't allowed on the grounds, that they'd been served a trespass notice on the grounds of Wellington. So I, I got together with the local hapu that were camped at Wellington and I spoke with them and I, I let them know that I was very familiar with the, the, the ongoings of history. And I asked them how they managed to hold that kind of power. I was thinking, you know, we've got a few thousand people here, so it's probably any, anywhere between sort of 5,000 and 10,000 people there at any one given time if you looked at how far those camper vans and tents went out into the streets. Um, the Hapu said that they, they actually were custodians of that land. So Parliament Grounds was built on their, on their land. And, um, and I was already aware that Auckland International Airport and Waikato Hospital and various other places around New Zealand were also built on, on land that the Māori people were custodians of. So I asked them how they managed to, to keep the cops away. I was like, you know, this is a big A&P show. Uh, kind of like, you know, the cops, you're never going to stop them from going anywhere. Um, it was their jurisdiction. It was the Māori, the Hapu, the Wakamaninga of Wellington area. It was their, um, it was their jurisdiction. And um, it held for a long time until the brute force came upon us. And it was just a war. That was just a, a, a pure war when they took Wellington down. Um, nothing was going to stop it. That was just, once again, it was that numbers game. You've got the people versus the, the crown. Um, 
So I came back and I spoke with my friends who were in within the Maori government, and um, and I said, look, I, I want to I want to be able to join. I want to be able to stand in that truth that I've already learned about, um, uh, and I want to be able to proclaim it because I actually. I can see that this could be an opportunity where we could actually get a, a really large portion or a really good portion of New Zealanders to come from this jurisdiction and stand in this jurisdiction. Uh, so it's, it's kind of described like having a dual citizenship basically, but in the same country. And that is an opportunity that, that many people aren't aware exists. So. They said, well, why don't you join? Why don't you join the Māori government and, and come in and learn? Learn with the different wakumaninga, the different councils within the, the, the government. And it was literally like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with movies like this, but The Matrix where there's basically a, a false world and when you wake up, you kind of end up finding that everybody's gone underground. It's very similar to Terminator, all, all those kind of sci-fi movies. There is a movement of true people underground and a massive movement. And so when I was pledged into the Māori government, I found that there was a tremendous amount of people in there working behind the scenes to bring an infrastructure to what was once just a small sovereign governance and allow the people of New Zealand, the people of Aotearoa, to come under that jurisdiction. So the word Māori um, means original and natural. Um, the the Komatua, so the wise elders within the um, the Wakamaninga, the national Wakamaninga that I I um, work with within the government, they look at anybody who stands under their jurisdiction as a Māori. The same if you were married to an Iranian and you went to Iran and you stayed there for long enough to become resident citizen and then you can call yourself Iranian. The same way we can call ourselves a Māori if we stand under that jurisdiction. So it's not about the colour of the skin, it's about the culture, it's about what we, what we stand for, the truth that we stand in. Um, back to government. We all love that word government. Some of you, just a quick lesson, some of you might know this, some of you might not, but the word ment, M-E-N-T, actually is Latin for mind. So the word government actually means to govern the mind. Um, the Māori people don't really understand um, corporate, the, 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 under the heifakaputanga, don't understand and don't accept the corporate world. They don't, they don't they don't partake of that. They see that as a as an as an evil. So the system that they will be that they are building the 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 New Zealand doctors speaking out with science have built a, a, a health wakamaninga, so a health council. Uh, there's an education council being currently being um, developed, um, which aligns with the the health wakamaninga. Um, there's these various councils that operate within the the Maori government, which are um, being created to protect us within that jurisdiction. So I've been asked also if I would be interested in, in being part of the Trade and Business Council, which will not be a corporate situation, maybe where you register, it's just where you basically record your business and you stand under their jurisdiction. Um, there is no talk of taxation as such at this time because they 
they don't believe in commerce, corporate. What they believe in is that everybody should be able to earn their own money and live. We are all custodians of the land. Um, their governance essentially only sees to it that everybody protects that um, sovereign truth and that we all have our existence. Um, it's a it's a very um, kind of heavenly kind of thought, you know. It's just like a you know almost too good to be true that this could happen. Um, but in the time that I've been serving in there, which would be about six months or so now, um, I I haven't seen anything that would deter me from it. If anything, the signing in and being part of the the council zooms, the the national Wakamaninga zooms, has only um, made me want to fight for it a little bit harder. So um, I encourage you all to do a little bit of homework on it, a little bit of research on it. Uh, it it's If you haven't heard of it before, it, 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 it's a lot to take in, but there, like I said, there is a really, really good podcast and I'm, I'm happy to see to it that, that you guys are able to get access to that. Um, I have started a Telegram page which is just going to give people um, good solid truthful information where you can actually uh, go and do your own research on it as well um, but we are looking for um, different people with gifts and attributes that can actually help um, create a greater body of people uh, I think how, how it kind of the best way to explain it is a wakamaninga is, is like a council or, or a, a group of people um, and each Wakamaninga around New Zealand will self-govern itself. So we stand under the, the governing truth, which is, is basically like a version of common law. They call it native law, tikanga law, or God's law. So biblical law, we don't have all this other trash, admiralty law stuff that they have in our corporate world. Um, we stand under that, and we just see to it that the law is upheld around the country. There's no um, parking fines and all that sort of nonsense. None of that sort of stuff would exist um, or will exist under it. Um, it's, it's something that's growing. I became an enrolment officer about uh, two months ago maybe um, because we couldn't keep up with the um, enrollees that were enrolling under it. Uh, there's probably tens of thousands of people now signed up under it and that's doubled in six months so it's growing fast. And we have Antoinette, who's a um, Antoinette James, who's a really well-known author uh, here in New Zealand, who's travelling the country at the moment. She's doing the North Island at the moment. Um, she is astute, absolutely astute to the facts, and she is giving two, three-hour seminars at this time. Uh, giving people understanding of of how it all come about and where it's going. Um, so a greater version of what I'm going to give you tonight, like a, an amazing version, she's, she's brilliant. She has some stuff on the internet, but I strongly recommend that when she gets to the South Island, she'll be in Timaru, um, July-ish, I think, um, I strongly recommend that you get there and that you drag someone along, because I, I don't think that it is worth missing the opportunity to at least hear this truth. Um, I did a bit of work with common law, I've worked with the common law assemblies, I understand that there is, um, we have inalienable rights, 
um, but I've also seen those stripped of us and they're just going to keep breaking the laws and the rules and stripping those right from us. This is not going to change. The, the government will not change. It, it's, it's definitely not going to go back to where it was, but it is actually going to go to a much better place if we can actually all stand together in the truth. And um, because the, that kind of governance resonates with me on, on, a, on a biblical level, um, I, I know it's the truth. So that's my personal um, input is I know it's the truth. Um, religion has really destroyed God's law. Um, God's law is something that lives inside all of us. It is the structure of our being, of our existence. Um, it's simply do unto others as what you would have done to yourself. We were all created equal and nothing should change. We, we should be able to be free. And um, there were, you know, there is a specific freedom in our lives if we choose to, to find that freedom. So um, the reason I called it a holy grail is because I actually see that we have an opportunity, unlike any other country, to actually embrace something that has almost been planted here divinely um, over 180 years ago and hidden, which has just been uncovered and found and given to us to look at. So if, you, um, if you're interested, um, keep an eye on Antoinette James's uh, tour, her seminars here in the South Island. And if there is anything that anyone would like to know about it, I can give you a little bit more input, um, a little bit more intel, and I can certainly send you to places, um, websites. They've got got the Maori government's got some good websites and some good information that you could go and see as well. So I'll kind of leave it at that because there is a few people speaking. So thank you very much for that and um, hearing me out. And um, like I say, if anybody uh, catches up with us at some stage, wants to know anything, I can give you some more uh, information, but. I am still a newbie in this. I haven't been um, part of um, Maori culture for a very long time. I understand a little bit, but not a great deal. Um, but I do know that there is a lot of people who uh, I work with every day who are very, very clever with this stuff. So um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Uh, it might, might take a day or two, but essentially I'll, I'll come back to you pretty promptly. So thank you. Well, that was, uh, oh gosh, I'm short. <laughs> it was really interesting, Hadley, and I don't know if you agree, but he had me when he said no tax. So I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. Just a little, just a little pop question. Um, what is coronavirus? Someone's, someone said the flu. Coronavirus has been around for decades, hasn't it? It's just essentially it's a respiratory infection would be a good way to describe that. Ah, well. <laughs> um, so, what's COVID-19? Yeah? Marketing name. Marketing name. Someone uh, the other day said it's a certificate of vaccine ID. I don't know. It sounds, sounds pretty good to me. Well, often certain diseases have several different names. Like, for example, uh, what's the other name for um, Zerpes Hoster? Herpes, yeah. Um, uh, rubella. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
COVID-19 has another name and it's SARS-CoV-2. So what's SARS-CoV-2 then? Let, 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 me t let me tell you what we do know about it. Um, we do know that it doesn't exist in nature, therefore it's been engineered, it's been made. We know that it's gain of function, which means uh, that there's uh, genetic modification involved. We know that it's not a virus because, as it was said before, there's been no isolated uh, instance of it. In blood tests and post-mortem, uh, there's been no identification of it as a virus. We know that there is roughly 120 patents related to SARS-CoV-2. We know, essentially, it's an unrestricted bioweapon. So that is what it is. So is it injected into us? Is it sprayed? Lots of questions to, to, to be answered, really. Now, just one more question. What one thing completely undoes the whole COVID um, lie and the lockdowns? What's one thing that completely undoes the whole entire everything? <laughs> PCR test okay do, do people understand how the PCR test even the inventor said it can't diagnose a disease so I often um, uh, use illustrations when I'm when I'm when I'm talking to people because sometimes that's the best the best way to understand it because we can get a little bit bogged when we talk about um, you know um, uh, cycles and um, computer um, generated genome sequence and things like that. So what I want you to imagine is that spaghetti is a disease. Okay. Now, the key um, computer modelled um, part of spaghetti is there's an ET in it, isn't there? Spaghetti, there's an ET. So if we can pick up an ET, you've got a positive case. So now let's look at this uh, pull-up banner. Do we see spaghetti there? Is spaghetti written on there at all? No. But if we zoom up on it enough, what they do with the PCR test, what do we find? How many ETs do you see? Well, don't go near it. It's contagious. It needs to be boosted. <laughs> Triple boosted, yeah. So, um, yet yeah, that sort of understood and just quietly disappeared. Incredible, isn't it? Even the CDC acknowledged. And now, now they've brought out the rats test. Don't get me started on that. So uh, the next speaker... Um, as a dear friend, I've worked for him for a number of years, and um, and it's a real privilege to, to have him come up and speak here tonight. Um, and please give him a warm welcome, uh, Philip Tomlinson. Thank you, William. Well, first of all, some people probably don't know a little bit uh, about me, so I might just tell you a, a little bit of background. Am I not getting that right? Oh, I'll try a bit harder. Yeah, that's all right. Getting it right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, when I was a four-year-old, um, my father drove the Maori bus to take the flax workers to the mill in Foxton. And so I grew up in that environment and I was very appreciative of Hadley's talk uh, on the Māori people. 
I was also uh, very interested in what you've just been saying, William, about the PCR test, because those kits were sent out for two solid years before the first lockdown to make sure all the hospitals were ready for what was completely prepared. So uh, the fact that the test is completely useless um, and 97% uh, inaccurate doesn't seem to worry too many people, but um, I certainly go along with your thought that uh, there are reservations about it. Anyway, going back to my childhood for a minute, so you know a wee bit about me before I start. Um, when I was a youngster, I was always in trouble. Um, even as that four-year-old, um, when I became five, I was sent to a funny thing called a school. And um, I didn't like it. Uh, I threw stones at the headmistress. <laughs> and uh, she introduced me to a huge strap the next day. And um, I didn't find school quite my thing. Uh, it wasn't my sort of world at all. And uh, introduced to me to that comment that was made about government uh, and the mind. And I believe that the government or the control of the mind is actually a, a major feature of what's going on in our country today, globally in fact, of course, as well. But uh, this question here of uh, what we're going to do and where we're going needs to be resolved with a bit of care because um, we can easily become burdened by a lack of hope. We can easily become over unrealistic uh, with an extended and elastic hope that just isn't there at all. And so I've tried to weigh up in my own mind uh, where we're going. And I've tried to weigh up uh, what's happening and looked at it from a completely different angle. I didn't get this out of a book or I didn't find it on the internet. It came out of my um, mental utensil. And um, you can tell me afterwards whether you think it's a load of nonsense or not, but uh, this is where it came from. And um, I believe myself that uh, the big cry out there is uh, fear. It's embedded in the population. It's absolutely uh, everywhere. But the question I asked is uh, how did it get this control and how long was this control uh, being built? And I came up with a different solution to my own deduction, uh, with my own deduction on this. And um, I believe it dates back to the uh, thing called the school. And uh, you're going to say, well, what's that got to do with the price of cabbages in Mongolia? Well, it's got a little bit to do with that, maybe. Um, this question of controlling the mind definitely begins in the school scene. And although I didn't like it as a five-year-old, um, it wasn't quite so bad 76 years ago. It was uh, still there though, and I could still see the thing was, if you like, developing. And um, what I'm going to talk about tonight is the fact that uh, I firmly believe that the control of the mind, the control of the body, the control of the spirit, the control of your assets, the control of your moral bearing through the ju judicial process is what is ultimately wanted and I believe it's been done in such a way as to make fear a natural outgrowth. Now I'll explain this in a bit more detail. Is that we were taught when we were introduced to the school scene to venerate the thing. Absolutely venerate it. And uh, there's no question about it. Um, 
this question of the mind. We'll just take the, not the body, mind and spirit, we'll just dwell on the mind for the moment. In the school system, the mind, if you like, is first of all marched in line. And there's no question about it, we have to venerate it. Listen, Tomlinson, pay attention, you'll learn something! And I can still remember being told that over and over again. Um, but my mind was working in an entirely different platform, let me tell you. <laughs> my father was away. He'd built a huge sawmill down the back, and I was a young teenager at the time. And there's a 24-inch saw blade. Massive thing. And it was a three-phase motor, you know, the 400-volt thing. And um, he'd showed me where the on switch was, and he showed me where the emergency stop switch was. And um, I was interested uh, in learning. I loved learning. I wanted to find out. So I'd heard that Einstein had said that if speed was increased uh, at a tremendous rate, then time would slow down or something like that. And that was in my mind. And I thought, well, I could put my uh, watch, which was a family heirloom, passed down from one generation to another. And I could tie this watch on the end of the, one of the teeth of the sawmill and start this thing up and put another clock beside the sawmill and I could see whether the watch changed uh, in a different time level to the clock. <laughs> now, I didn't quite have Einstein ideas correct because I uh, uh, made one or two mistakes in the calculations. One of them was I had completely forgotten about a thing called centripetal force, which meant that the watch didn't sort of watch where it was going. It was sort of going to fly around. So I started up this huge uh, sawmill and the uh, huge thing almost shook to bits. It was um, really, uh, it could have been a, a very nasty accident. But anyway, uh, I thought, well, um, I'll salvage the watch at least. And I uh, had to get a half broom to do that um, because there wasn't much left of it. And I discovered that I was well off track, uh, but I was interested to know that approximately uh, something like, I don't know, six or eight years later, my hand shook with absolute amazement as I read about Einstein's discoveries. And I entered into a world that uh, for me was a world of my own. And I've been there probably most of my life and as most of you have probably come across from my work with the Pfizer vaccine data, um, I'm interested in numbers and I'm interested in statistics and I like to look at the way data is manipulated and so on. So coming back to the uh, experimental thing that didn't fit me into the school system very well, I, I, I'm afraid I just didn't, didn't go the, the venerating of the school system. I can still remember the headmaster saying, you know you don't ride your bike down the corridor in the mid, mid, middle of the interval, do you, don't you? You know, and I, uh, I said, yeah, 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 yes, of course, I, yeah, yeah. So I did a lot of things that were well out of tune with the, with, I couldn't venerate the system. I couldn't accept it for what it was glorified to be, and I didn't think that it was worth what it was given by way of recognition.
But the big thing about it that I've noticed over the years is that the school system still gained that veneration and we were led to believe and to trust it. It wasn't so bad perhaps going back 50 years ago. But there's no question about it now and I see the homeschool movement now moving forward and I believe that the trust that has been placed in the training of the mind has been misplaced. And I believe it's so seriously misplaced that the whole of the system is really corrupt. Now I have been a teacher myself, I love teaching, I love explaining things and I love solving problems and I enjoy that classroom work so I became a thing called a school teacher. And I found, of course, that I couldn't stomach it. I enjoyed the teaching, but not the system. And I began to realise that the veneration of the system was out of all proportion to the value that that system really could honestly claim. Now, the same thing happened uh, with the medical world when I began to investigate that. I can still remember my mother when I was a little tiny kid, we went to the doctor, you know, that was the thing you did. And, uh, oh, that was a great thing. That we, my, my sisters and myself, is, it, is my sister there? You'll, you'll agree with this, won't you? Yeah, uh, I'm sure. You remember we, we used to uh, see if we could get round the room without standing on the floor uh, and we were allowed to hold on to curtain rails, jump to furniture and so on. Do you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, that was my introduction to the, the medical world, you see. And um, th this is not exaggerated, is it? No. no. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, in, the, in the surgery, I heard my mother uh, saying, Now look here, doctor. Can you cure this or not? <laughs> you see? And I thought, oh, there's something a bit missing here, you see. And I began to think about the medical system, even as a youngster, that things weren't perhaps as good as they were venerated to be. But if you looked at the medical system and you weighed it up, you would have to say that people trust it implicitly in the main. Am I right? Now, it was the same with the school system. It was trusted. And the medical thing really uh, gave me quite a shock because, um, and I'm going to tell the story of my own mother, even though I know many of you know the story, you'll forgive me if I can just repeat for those that don't know. Um, our introduction at home to medicine as we knew it uh, arose when my mother had secondary metastasized bone marrow cancer at 75. She'd had part of the bowel already removed with cancer and the cancer had returned. And um, I said to mum that one of us in the family circle would take her overseas to any clinic that she chose and uh, we would just let her choose where she wanted to go and we'd arrange the finance. One of us would go with her, blah, blah, you know, we, we'd had it all. Think. No, 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 she said, I've had my life, I've been told, take a world trip, wind my affairs up, I'll just accept it. My loving wife said, no, we'll look after her. So she came to stay with us, and she stayed with us six months and one day. And when she arrived, I had to work out what on earth I was going to do about this thing called medicine. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the education system, they've got a thing called compulsory education. 
Now, you can't have two words like that. They don't fit together. They've got nothing to do with one another, right? Now, in medicine, there's two words that fit together, and they're called medical science. Now, hold on. How silly can you get? Medicine's a healing art, and, 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 and science is a completely different world from the healing art that's required in medicine. And from my experience working with William, and uh, I've done that now for about 15 years, and not with William for that long, but with uh, William's father originally, uh, I've concluded that the medical system uh, needs to be looked at again, and there is no such thing as medical science. By the way, I've done a bit of study and reading in this area, and I, I don't believe there's anything called a virus either. It's an absolute lie in my books. I know that I've got no medical qualifications and I've got no right to make such an announcement, but I noticed that Lee Merrill, have you noticed in her speeches on the internet, she doesn't believe there's a virus. And there's a doctor here somewhere, where's Pavel, is he there? Um, Yes, he, he was also in agreement with me on this thing, about the, the thing, is that unfortunately we're told things and we believe them and we venerate them. And when we venerate the system, we trust it. So we've got our trust exercised in the same way in the medical field as we've got it exercised in the educational field. And you can see what we've got. We've got mind and body. Now, in spirit, we've got a religious system set up in a formal way that also acts as a substitute for the reality, although in many cases I do agree reality does prevail and I will concede that. But the idea of a system that is venerated is part of our culture and it's trusted, although the trust is fading and fading sharply and I can see that things are going to be different as time moves on. But one thing I have noticed, though, is that this trust in institutions is an assumption that has been drawn to uh, an elastic limit and gone beyond it and broken. And we now have a system where we are trusting institutions rather than trusting our judgments. And I believe that's why there's such a tremendous range of fear running through our culture today, and I'm talking about the COVID thing. Because if you say, why do people get so upset and so frightened and so worried? Because they trust these people that tell you the pack of lies that goes hand in hand with this stuff. And if it wasn't for the trust that was exercised, there wouldn't be the fear that's engendered. And that's where I believe this thing actually runs, that the underlying platform that really, if you like, holds up the fear is the trust that's been put in it. And this trust that's been put in it, and I'm talking about in our culture, right, um, enables the shock announcement to take an impact that it need not take. Now, if this is wrong, this is wrong. But my own thought on this is that by the time you look at the mind, body, and spirit, and you look at the attempt to control, manipulate, and manage in those areas that's being done, I can see at once that it would never happen that way 
if there was no trust placed in those three systems. It would never happen. And that's why we've got with the experts trusted. And we place ourselves under their banner, if you like. I couldn't believe it, you know, when I turned 65, a good while ago, I remember going to the, uh, the Wynn's place. And uh, the woman said to me there, here's your gold card. And I said, oh, thank you. Right. She now we'll look after you, you know. We'll look after you. If there's anything that goes wrong, you can contact us immediately. And, and uh, now this uh, dear soul was doing her best to do exactly what she'd been asked to do. I don't want to be critical of her at all. She was doing an honest job. She was a good employee and she was telling me how well she could do what she was supposed to do. But it gave me the impression that a geriatric was a pathetic case <laughs> and that in years to come she would expect me to turn up. Don't forget, she said as I went out the door, you can always contact us if anything goes wrong at all. <laughs> We're always here, you know. So I thanked her for her sentiment and uh, went out and uh, dusted my clothes down and w walked off. But what I'm saying is that the spirit behind the institution was the thing that commanded veneration, you see, if I had, was silly enough to offer it. And I've looked to at the financial system. And by the way, I've tampered with that too. If you go downtown, there's a signboard up there, Tomlinson Investment Brokers, and if you, you won't see it unless you scrape the paint off, but um, it didn't work out because it wasn't my thing, I, I'm afraid. I, I knew how to handle all the mathematical calculations for futures trading, and I enjoyed all the complexity of that kind of garbage. And... Um, the only thing I couldn't do is I couldn't sell the stuff, you see, because uh, you had to be honest. And um, well, it, in fact, it was it was so bad. I had a client come in; he wanted to buy a life insurance, you see. And I said, he had his wife with him. I said, look, do you mind if I ask? Uh, are you pregnant at the moment? And the woman said, no. And she said, and I said, well, do you mind if I ask? Are you intending to have a family soon? And she said, well, no, we're not really. And they both nodded their head. They were not intending to have a family in the immediate future. So I said to them, well, um, you don't need a life insurance. <laughs> As a waste of money, you see. And she said, uh, but I thought you sold them. <laughs> and I said, well, well, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> and um, so I came home and I said to my wife, we've earned nothing today. And... Um, in the end, I had to give it up, you see. <laughs> but anyway, um, what I did do is I found out quite a lot about the financial industry because I was, uh, you could ring up uh, America and get a gold contract signed. In those days, there were no such things as computers, remember? And because uh, I'm going back decades. But anyway, I found out another thing that interested me about the financial industry was the fact that uh, you know, I brought the IRD into my equation and, and had a look at how things were managed there and uh, even got hold of some information that I shouldn't have. So because this is all being recorded, um, you can talk to me afterwards. But uh, 
I found out quite a bit anyway about the way the whole system was, if you like, designed to take control of our assets. Now, mind, body, spirits, assets. They want the lot. Then I got further into the thing and there's this other question that came up in our discussion tonight was the question of uh, law. And um, it's something that I have I've missed out on because um, I trusted the police and I trusted the courts. Um, I was really uh, quite clear, uh, so about roughly three decades ago, that by mind, body and spirit there were definitely institutional control creeping in. But I trusted the courts, even though I'd had uh, some bad runs and saw some bad things, and I found out dishonesty certainly prevailed at a high level. What I did find out from the uh, actual work that I was doing there was that um, in the main, I trusted the police. I trusted the courts. I believed that, that people were honest. But anyway, you may remember, some of you that are older will definitely remember the Bain murder case. Do you remember that? For those that are younger, this was a, a major set of murders of a family of five in Dunedin. And um, it goes back to 1994. And um, I began to see that uh, corruption was beginning to creep in in all sorts of ways in the world at large, but I still trusted the police. Well, you may remember, those who are older will remember a man by the name of Joe Caram. And he knocked on my door. And uh, he came in and sat down. He said, I want you. And I said, I'm not interested. <laughs> he said, that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> and um, he'd come down from Auckland. He said, I need a mathematician uh, to do some work on the timing of the computer that was found in the house. Sorry, you're the only one that needs to live. And there was a message on the computer. Uh, that the son, David Bain, was supposedly accused of having put on that computer. And anyway, I said to uh, Joe Caram, uh, I wasn't the slightest bit interested in that because I said, um, I trust the police, they do a good job. And uh, he said, I don't care, I want you. And he listed off the qualities he wanted and the reason and all that, blah, blah, blah. So I was introduced to yet another dimension to this question of uh, corruption and the veneration of the institutions. I'd already settled out in my mind that mind, body and spirit, yes, there was definitely control, power, greed over the whole thing there. No question about it. I knew in the assets that things were wrong because I'd got involved in the financial industry myself and I saw the way it really worked. They said to me, you don't sell that kind of package. You sell the package with the biggest commission, you idiot. And I didn't realise exactly what was going on, but I had to leave it. It just wasn't my thing at all. But anyway, getting back to Joe Karam, because I must come back to this question of the police, because this is uh, another factor in my education uh, when I was discovering what was really going on in society and the, the control. And um, I was astounded at uh, what was actually amiss. Well, 
what is even fascinating about this, but life has very strange coincidences that sometimes pop up. And uh, the morning of the murders, I happened by chance to have a call to do a particular job. I'll tell you what it was, I'll tell you why and how. Is, uh, I was a head of department in the uh, polytechnic in the tertiary teaching world. I'd come back into teaching because I realised that was my first love. And um, uh, the day before the murders, four girls came into my office crying and crying and crying and they say there's obviously a problem. Now I can't give the details of exactly what the problem was but what I can say was that as a head of department and I was responsible for the area in which they were studying, uh, I had several different academic areas in which I was uh, looking after uh, the staff and the courses that were run there. So uh, I listened to the girls and I said, well look, I'll come over in the morning and um, to your class and uh, we'll have a bit of a, a look around. I said, not much that you can do in these circumstances, but I said, we'll see what, see what I can do. Well, I went over there and I, I can't give you the detail of exactly what the courses were because I think I've got to be a bit careful here. Um, but anyway, uh, a statement was made and it's not the statement that matters, but it was the intelligence of the person who made it was beyond dispute. And the statement was, David Bain is obviously guilty, but no arrest had been made at that point. And then I thought, that's extremely odd. Extremely odd. It was another amazing coincidence because I was actually teaching the exact same software that was being used in the Bain household at the time, myself, even though I was a head of department, I was also at the chalk face to a certain degree a small amount of the time. So I had sort of, if you like, two edges on this Bain case, which were a very strange thing. But I began to realise when this announcement had been made that this man was obviously guilty, that something was wrong when somebody of good intelligence and good integrity uh, was making a statement like that but obviously had the information that was flowing through that enabled him to make a concrete statement about it. Well anyway, Karim, can I go back to Karim? He had knocked on my door and uh, we were sitting in the lounge talking and he said to me, I don't care what you do, he said, I just want you to investigate. I said, oh, I'll investigate the police, not you. And um, he's fair enough. He didn't mind. He said, I just want your brain to be in action and I want you to find out what's going on. So I said to uh, Karim, I'll investigate. So I got books by Arthur Allen Thomas story. I got hold of the Chamberlain story, the Ellis story, the Scott Watson story. And I read them all up. I corresponded with the author of the Ellis book, uh, City Possessed. And... Um, I, I did a lot of research into, into what was going on and I was absolutely shocked. And I was even more shocked when I discovered that the uh, detective in charge of the investigation of the Bain case uh, was one that was involved in the Scott Watson trial because I'd also read about that. 
And um, once again, a lot of detail has to be left out because discretion is the best part of valour here. And uh, the thing that, that uh, unravelled in my mind, once again, was that uh, things were not right. I'll give you an example. There were five dead in the house. It took four hours before the bodies were inspected. Four hours. Seventeen people had walked through the house before the actual handbook requirements in a homicide case were followed. And things weren't right at all, I could see. The detectives' watch for the timing, was, which is a critical thing, had got no numbers on it, was two minutes fast, it wasn't reported, and every minute counted in this particular case in the actual analysis. Now, my job as a mathematician, there were two of us, by the way, two mathematicians, and we were both computer people as well. Uh, my job was to work out the timing of David Bain's movements. And my timeline went to the Privy Council in England and was one of the reasons that the government was kicked in the pants and told to have a retrial, and of course, the man was freed after years and years of wrestling and appeal courts and so on. Now, all of this upheaval in my mind went through because I had been venerating the system. I had regarded the institution as a little tin god on a wooden pedestal and I believed and trusted it. And I believed that I had made a dreadfully bad mistake. And the mistake was that I had venerated systems, institutions, now, is it not true, and you can see whether I'm speaking common sense or not, that over the years that have progressed through the decades that have gone by, there has been more and more what I would call control, power, expected veneration, if you like, in the institutional image. Is that a fair comment or not? I believe it is. I believe that we've got what you would call the exact opposite of what we used to call civil servants who were our servants, right? But now we have civil authorities, right? Which are different sorts of things, you see. But I never heard of civil authorities when I was a kid. My father used to tell me everything was civil servants. They worked for us, helped us, supported us. And I said, well, yeah, yeah that's, what I, that's what I believed, you see. Now, this question here of the really disproportionate veneration is the ground on which fear has been introduced. And I believe myself that that ground is the ground on which the COVID story has been sold. We trust these people. I know I'm a bit over time. Please talk more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. But, but, but I really believe that the people that we've trusted, the people that we've believed in, the people that we've venerated, right, have then made the shock announcement, which was, of course, totally well prepared. Don't forget those PCR tests were sent out for two solid years, to millions and millions of them around there, okay, to all the different hospitals around the world, okay. So when the announcement was finally made, we were ready to believe it. 
Now, we might not have believed it, but most people were able to say, yes, they believe it, because they were venerated people. And I believe myself that the fear can be generated very easily only if we trust the people who actually speak the alarm. And I believe myself that I've got no fear of COVID. I don't even believe that there's any such thing as a virus anyhow. It's got no legs and, 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 and tongue. It doesn't run around. Your virus is a bit of dirt to me and my virus is a bit of dirt to you. It's a broken hunk of DNA, by the way, that's just floating around. It hasn't got legs. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So coming back to this question here of the, the institutions and the claim that they make on us, I believe it's time that we stop venerating these uh, systems and recognise that, uh, and, I, and, I, and I quote from the scriptures, the heart of man is desperately wicked and the uh, actual proof of it, if you like, is everywhere. And uh, I too have spent months and months and months studying the book of Revelation and I'm not fearful of tomorrow because I trust what is prophetically written, but what I am is aware of the importance of what other speakers have already brought out today and I'm very pleased to think that others have also studied the Bible, which I believe is the key book in terms of that one thing that gets lost the truth. Yeah, yeah I, and I believe that it's a lot. Now, in Queen Victoria's day, there was a Bible in every home and Britannia ruled the waves. There wasn't another navy that could compete with Britain. But her standards when, in Queen Victoria days were absolute and her honour and integrity was beyond dispute. What happened? God honoured it. The scripture says, them that honour me, I will honour. And that's exactly what happened. Britain was honoured. We can't say that today. The exact opposite is now evident. So this honour that we are placing on the institutions, I have to say, if I'm allowed to say so, is out of perspective altogether. What a, what a lovely, well-presented talk, Philip. How lucky am I to work with this fella? Yeah? Wow. A, a show of, uh, of, of applaud. I'm trying to talk Philip into making more videos. How, how many videos would you like him to make? Do you, do you want to see more videos? Yeah. It's actually a, a very interesting subject about viruses and... Um, <laughs> yes. Um, about understanding what you know, what what is a virus? Because you know, back in my day, um, you know, if someone got measles, we'd have measles parties, wouldn't we? And um, so, surely you caught a virus. It just doesn't make sense that a virus doesn't doesn't exist. Um, and there's a lot of research out there now that's that's you know sort of trying to say, well, actually, a virus is not a living thing. Um, when you go to these measles parties, not everyone gets measles, do they? But isn't it interesting, though, when a whole lot of women start living together, they start synchronising their periods. Now, can you catch a period? <laughs> uh, yeah, so 
Um, so so how, how can how can these things be transmitted? And I didn't want to talk about that tonight, but just because Philip mentioned about the, the virus. And it actually really boils down to, it's more of an energetic signature, if anything. Uh, everything has an energetic signature. Um, and sometimes someone who is sick, the, when someone is sick, the waste that the toxic cell produces is a type of virus and that can actually transmit through vibration and stimulate um, the detoxification process uh, of someone else and they can get sick. But that's a big subject which uh, I don't have time to talk. Um, I'll probably have to wrap things up pretty quickly but what I wanted to talk about was minimising um, the uh, effects uh, of being uh, jabbed uh, and also minimising the, 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 the effects of shedding. Now, shedding in a technical sense is the wrong word um, because shedding is normally associated with a vaccine that actually has a virus in it. Uh, whereas in this instance, we know that uh, uh, this COVID vaccine is not a true vaccine. Uh, it's more of a genetic modification drug. So we all, uh, we all know that. Uh, so it's some type of transmission somehow. Now, look, to be quite honest, we don't really completely know the truth about any of this. We don't quite know. All we can know is, first of all, for us and with our clinic, we've got anecdotal evidence, but that's not really scientific evidence. The only other thing we can rely on is all the uh, specialists that we and or I personally network with, uh, and also the doctors that are speaking out um, around the globe. So that's, that's the only information that we can have. So, um, who here has been in a situation where they've been around someone who's been vaccinated or COVID jabbed, and they perhaps get a bit of a tight chest or they they feel a bit unwell? Any anyone here? Okay. Um, my my first experience, um, I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and yet I've got a good system. Um, and what's happening? I'm getting all these people coming in saying oh, well, you know, my husband got vaccinated and, 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 and now got really tight chest pains or they're continually bleeding, they can't stop their periods. Um, uh, or one woman in particular, she gets blood clots in her legs when she's around uh, the vaccinated people. So is there any scientific proof? Well, there's no peer-reviewed studies on it. You know, all, all we know at the moment is that it's happening. It's being reported. You know, have you heard of the tens of thousands of women that you know are having all sorts of menstrual cycle problems? That's been reported. Um, you know, I've I've got clients that are like small children. All of a sudden, they're just starting to bleed uncontrollably from the nose. You know, one 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 um, family drew, drove several hours to see me, and I said, "Well, on the way home, go and to the supermarket, buy some activated charcoal, and have that on the way home." And and she's never had a, a nosebleed since. So that was pretty cheap and effective. I'm all about um, what's inexpensive, what's effective. When we think about health, um, we tend to think, oh, it's going to be quite expensive, but actually it can be quite inexpensive to be really, really healthy. So what I want to talk about is yeah, what I've experienced and what I, so far, in my own anecdotal evidence, what has worked. But I must, I must uh, you know, warn you that what works for these people might not work for you. So I would not want you to you know, sort of accept this as medical advice, um, because I wouldn't want Jacinda knocking on my door telling me off for that, you know, no, yeah, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be nice, yes. So, um, so what we 
seem to know so far about the vaccination is that it alters the messenger RNA. The messenger RNA combined with the DNA produces a protein. Uh, in this instance, when you get genetically modified, it tends to produce a spike protein. Now, there's lots of doctors coming out and talking about snake venom and they're talking about HIV. Um, I've always been a little bit on the fence about it because I haven't truly researched it. I can only go by trusted other medical professionals that have uh, gone through the research and they feel very strongly that that's all true. So that's about the limit I can talk about it. So um, there's also talk about um, you know graphene oxide and heavy metals and magnetism. Who believes that the magnetism exists? Yeah. Okay, so let me tell you about um, one client. Got jabbed. I can't remember about a year ago. Um, not too much of a, a of a reaction, but had quite a sore arm. Very recently, uh, st almost started screaming with pain on his left arm, and uh, in fact he couldn't move it. Now his wife remembered a talk that I gave about the number one thing you can do to help if you're COVID vaccinated. That sounds ridiculous. It sounds too easy, um, but it's actually a real fact, and that's turn your Wi-Fi off, okay? She unplugged the Wi-Fi, and within a s 10 seconds, the pain completely left him. And by the way, she showed me a picture of a washer that stuck to him. This is my client, okay? Um, and so when I give talks, I say the number one, oh, I've actually got lots of number one things, by the way. Um, but the number one thing is be really careful about the electromagnetic radiation that you're, that you're rounding. You know, if you've been COVID jabbed, I wouldn't, well, no one should operate a microwave anyway. But if you've got Wi-Fi, try and turn it off. Be really careful about using your phone because graphene oxide in itself can be manipulated. Now, have you ever, have you noticed that in the last three months particularly that there's been a real huge increase of people getting sick? And people say, I caught COVID. I was like, oh. so you've got a respiratory disease or, you know, who hasn't had the flu in the, in, in the last you know, quite a long time, but it, it seems to be a lot recently. We know that 5G's been activated more recently. We know that there's been an extreme amount of, of um, activity in the skies. I've sat down with some, some doctors, and they come out saying, oh, they've sprayed it in our skies. Well, I don't know, because I haven't measured it. You know, I can only go by what I'm told in those instances by trusted sources. So... Um, so what we know is that yeah, the, these frequencies can actually really impact us. Uh, so there's things that we just will not know for a long time, okay? Um, but there, there, there are certain things that we know can certainly help. So uh, when I talk about certain number ones, then my next number one thing is no seed oil, which is vegetable oils, canola, rice bran, grape seed, soy, any of those oils, they are so horrifically damaging to our system. So you've got to remember that if you're either impacted by um, the shedding, which which might be through the, the, through the pheromones, by the way, that's why some people get a little bit sick if they go to the gym, okay? Um, but whatever, if you're impacted, then you need to do everything you can to reduce and eliminate or minimize your inflammatory responses. See, it affects your immune system. In fact, doctors have said it's a it's a guaranteed autoimmune system. Like in the early days, they're saying it's a guaranteed two to five year death sentence. Now, I don't, if you've been jabbed, I don't want you to think that at all because I, I believe that there can be a lot of things that you can do to reverse this. 
But what I'm trying to get at first of all are practical cheap things that you can do to minimise the damage of the vaccine or the shedding. And so Wi-Fi and seed oils because they're such, such high inflammatory conditions. Um, and there's a lot we can do with our diet as well. Um, in fact, actually, just a quick question. What would happen if you invited Jacinda Ardern into your body? Huh? Would, you, would she want to destroy you? Yeah, did she want to, to wreck things? What was if she appointed um, and, and, and she also invited Ashley Bloomfield into you? It's not a good combination, is it? Well, there, there is uh, one thing that is, causes us really high inflammation is insulin. You might have heard of that. So a good thing is to probably avoid a lot of foods which can stimulate an insulin spike. Because what happens is, and I don't get too healthy at the moment, but, but these are quite critical factors. When we have foods which um, heighten our insulin, the technical, a lot of people use the buzzword insulin resistance, but that's slightly wrong. It's actually the Randall cycle, but let's just call it insulin resistance for easiness at the moment. Um, when our insulin goes up, guess what happens? It takes over your body. And it doesn't matter what systems are going on in our body, it's, it's almost like the government, isn't it? It's, it's like if you had a, a bulldozer and you welded the accelerator down and welded the, the steering wheel and welded all the levers... It's got that direction no matter what science you throw at it, it's going that direction, isn't it? Well, insulin is very similar. So what happens is, is it stimulates all these reactions. It's not just one domino effect, it's actually a multiple domino effects. When insulin gets into our blood, it causes inflammation. Uh, when inflammation in our uh, blood happens, cholesterol comes in to try to heal it. That's why diabetics, they often lose their eyesight or their feet first because the capillaries are the smallest. Uh, and it causes inflammation and this is insulin it activates your um, adrenals so we get systemic cortisol inflammation and that's that's what who I referred to as the Bloomfield inflammation <laughs> yeah and basically what it what it does is it stimulates an autoimmune response um, when it's taken care of so when you're when you're affected by the vaccine which stimulates an autoimmune response when you're stimulated um, or or weakened by shedding then these are two quite important things to do. Now, what, I've, um, uh, what I can get in trouble with, sometimes particularly with, with vegans, is I've got this, I've got this wee, wee thing. There are, three, there, there are two things we can do to save yourself and save the planet. And I'm going to lead up to this by going through the levels of purism with our diet. Okay, I'm going to be really quick about it. Okay, the levels of purism. Because if someone comes to me with, with six months to live because of cancer, then I'm going to go to the holy grail of diets, aren't I? But if a 12-year-old if a comes and they're a little bit sick, that's probably a, a, an unfair expectation, would you agree? So, so what can they do? You know, what, This is why I've created some levels of purism. So the first baseline is the obvious, no seed oils, uh, you know, anything that spikes the insulin, so ice cream, biscuits, that kind of thing. So it's pretty obvious in a KFC, all, all those sort of rubbish foods. But the second level of purism would be no grains, no rice, no legumes, limited nuts and seeds, 
limited fruits and limited vegetables. And you're thinking, what? I can, I can feel it. And I know you can feel it because when this was introduced to me a number of years ago, I thought, this is just too crazy. So that's level two. Level three uh, starts sounding a little bit ridiculous. And level three is no nuts, sorry, no grains, no rice, no legumes, no nuts and seeds, no fruits, no nightshades. In fact, level two should have been limited nightshades. I think I left that out. And limiting some of your vegetables. And you're probably thinking, well, what else is to eat? Yeah? <laughs> and and so so I can just just hear me out, just to, just amuse me for a moment. Then the next level of purism is pretty much heading into carnivore diet. Now, isn't it interesting how the 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 medical industry are pushing all these drugs, but then they demonise healthy herbs? But have you noticed how much they've been demonising meat? Okay. So if they're demonising something, maybe we need to wake up to that. I believe, and I'm, I don't mean to offend any vegans or vegetarians here, because um, uh, yeah, I completely understand the morality of it. So I, I'm, 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 on side, I'm on your side there. But I believe veganism is social engineering, okay, for a really sick, unhealthy future. Uh, and there's different levels of purism. So how does that save yourself... How does that save the planet and how can that save your money? Well, first of all, um, if we're true carnivores, you've got a sort of a 50% fat in your diet, you hardly eat anything. So all of a sudden we actually reduce what we take from the planet. The other, so there's two things, become a carnivore and then um, instigate restorative or regenerative farming. So this is ethical farming. Uh, I had a client, she was actually a doctor actually, and she had a big regenerative farm and she was telling me that they had hardly any deaths, the animals are happy, um, and uh, it's, all, it's not necessarily organic, but although it is, uh, organic farming is not necessarily a healthy practice either. Uh, so uh, the, the animals are, you know, obviously have a good life and they're not trucked off, they're not traumatised. Um, and how do you save money? Well, when you uh, have a high-fat meat diet, you hardly eat anything. So you save a lot of money, which is quite, quite phenomenal, isn't it? So what I'm finding is that a lot of autoimmune diseases can be reversed by going on a high-fat, no-carb diet. And you're probably, um, probably wondering, well, wait a minute, what about the vegetables? And sometimes I ask people, if you could imagine a picture of the perfect healthy table, what would be on it? Like, what, what would you see normally on, on a really healthy picture? Like, fruits? Vegetables? Yeah, but, but you'd probably see a lot of colourful vegetables, won't you? Um, and you might say, no, that's not right, William, because what do you mean nuts and seeds? Walnuts have got vitamin this, vitamin that, mineral this, and mineral that, and it's got these essential fatty acids. That's in a laboratory. Well, let's get a daily nightshade. It's got vitamin this, vitamin that, and mineral this and mineral that too. doesn't mean it's good for you. Um, I really struggled with this information um, because for years I've been teaching that, you know, uh, vegetables are the foundation of cancer recovery. And I'm 
a Bible man as well. I believe in creation, and and I, I remember scriptures about oh, from every tree you can have and vegetation. I think Abel grew veg- vegetables. So how could vegetables be unhealthy? It didn't make any sense to me. Maybe these scientists have got it wrong. Maybe they've got an agenda. But then the more research, and believe me, I've been researching this, um, the vegetables we eat now were are engineered. They're not the vegetables we used to eat in the last couple of hundred years. For example, the original potato would have killed you. The original banana would have killed you. I want you to answer this without thinking. Okay? I want to answer as quickly as you can. What do they feed monkeys in zoos? No, because they'll get diabetes. Yeah, so my wee boy won't won't have a banana. So what I'm talking about, that this is all simple stuff. This is ways to reduce inflammation. As I said, this diet has reduced uh, a lot of uh, uh, chronic diseases, a lot of autoimmune diseases. Another another thing, um, you know, there's there's lots of talks about um, different supplements, NAC, vitamin C, and things like that. Well, one of our favourite things is the opposite of a vitamin C, uh, and it it's not an antioxidant; it increases your oxidation, uh, and it's chlorous dioxide. Who's heard of chlorous dioxide? Yep, a couple of hands. Yep, it has another name called chlorine dioxide, but it's not chlorine. Um, some people call it MMS for Miracle Mineral Solution. And um, um, I was talking with Philip the other day and I loved how he put it. He said, it's not a miracle, it's not a mineral, but it is a solution. <laughs> yes. And, um, and basically, uh, I personally believe that without a doubt, this is the sledgehammer needed uh, for vaccine regret. Uh, it when you mix the two ingredients together, it forms chlorous dioxide gas. Your body absorbs it, increases your oxidation potential. It rips electrons away from pathogens, bacteria. There's no bacteria at all that chlorous dioxide can't handle. It has medically proven to have 100% success with malaria. And even um, in Europe, uh, doctors whose names I can't pronounce uh, have done a medical report uh, with 100% success with COVID. I've seen that medical report. That medical rep- was report was sent to the White House. Next minute, Donald Trump turns to the doctor and talks about injecting bleach. Yeah. Huh? Go now. That's what mainstream media said. Yes. No yes. Yes. Um, chlorous dioxide is uh, demonized. Um, uh, and uh, it's touted off as a dangerous industrial bleach. And when you research it, you'll see images of bleach bottles uh, in a shopping supermarket and with titles like Mother Forces Child to Drink Bleach. And what really um, raised my awareness is because I've been talking about this product for many, many years, um, is that, you know, uh, we used to joke, oh, if you're in Australia and get a snake bite, chlorous dioxide is the, the ultimate anti venom. Then blow me down when I watched that documentary, um, Something Waters, watch the waters and about, is it 19 different snake venoms or 19 different snake venom proteins? And I was like, ah, well, no wonder they sent six police officers and four MedSafe staff to the suppliers without a warrant and stole everything in New Zealand here shortly after Donald Trump made that announcement. No wonder all the arrests that are happening with anyone with chlorous dioxide. So we don't touch it. But it, but what? <laughs> so, um, 
So yeah, so um, so actually, uh, you know, uh, actually we are making another video on that um, because the New Zealand Herald uh, they did an article demonising it. They're blaming the New Zealand doctors speaking out for science for touting it for profits. Do you know this thing costs fifty bucks and lasts for a couple of years? And if we take, you know, if you take the GST, there's just no money to be made at all in that. So and and touting for profits at that price, so they really demonised it. And so we're going to respond to that. We're responding to that article, Philip and I, because Philip taught to uh, degree level mathematic, uh, uh, degree level uh, chemistry. And in fact, it was quite funny. He, yeah, he's lovely working with this guy. He's going, William, I taught my students not to go near it, don't touch it, don't store it, don't transport it. Now I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so that's so that's great. So that's that's a wonderful thing if you're able to you know get hold of that. So one thing I have noticed, um, and um, again, I'm not making any claims here. It's just observation. It's just anecdotal evidence that we have. See, we've got you know bioenergetic uh, systems. We're actually able to measure um, bioenergetically or energetically the messenger RNA and the DNA. And I can remember uh, having this 18-year-old girl come in and, and she wasn't very well and I did a scan. And this was before really the vaccine's been released properly. Only the only a very selected old, few old people got it at this point. And I did the scan and her RNA level was off the charts. It was like, it didn't make sense. She's 18 years old. You know, I don't even know if her vaccine was even in the South Island at this point. And um, I had to ask, I said, this doesn't make sense, like, like surely you wouldn't have got, got the jab. And she goes, yeah, she said, I did in Auckland because I was studying a particular medical field and they forced it upon us. And so that's when I first noticed that our uh, bioenergetic system can actually measure uh, that type of thing. Uh, so what have, I, what have I witnessed? Well, I've talked about the woman with um, uh, the clotting in the legs. Um, well, within a few days, that clotting left. I've got another gentleman, he's a builder. Um, I was actually hoping that he'd come tonight, but he's unable to because he's an Ashburton. Um, he um, got a double jabbed and the pain up here and here and here was so intense that he was he was literally crippled. Um, I do a lot of I do blood I do bloods by the way. Um, and he'd be quite shocked at the bloods I'm finding. Um, so um, I must put that up somewhere. I must make a video actually and put it on counterspin. Um, about those but anyway his blood was all disgusting and now it's all looking really good all the pain's gone and he looks like he's going to go back to work um, what are the long-term ramifications well we just don't know um, the theory is that it's going to stimulate a you know some doctors are really doom and gloom but I believe and one thing that um, is, is, is critical in what I do is I need to establish that okay yes you've made this this, this bad choice and in some cases it's not a choice it's been forced upon us um, it does seem doom and gloom but I believe you'll get well now um, because you are now proactively doing something about it um, I've it's broken my heart what comes in I, I had one guy come in like this and he goes um, oh well I had the first jab and I was really sick for weeks then I had the second one and I was out for, for a couple of months. And then I had the third one and now I, now he's a mess. And I said, well, why did you get them? Well, because I'm a nurse and I had to. How fair is that? You just wouldn't believe what comes through. I, I used to usually used to be three or four weeks booked out. Now I'm about six, seven weeks booked out with all this. 
And by the and, and I'm not a doctor, by the way. Let's make that clear. Um, I've I've been mentored by lots of doctors, and I do a, a tremendous amount of study. Um, but just because you're, I'm not a doctor doesn't mean um, I don't have the the ability to study. It's like saying um, if you don't have a motorbike license, you can't ride a motorbike. Well, I was doing all sorts of stunts when I was ten years old on a motorbike. Didn't have a license though. Yeah. Um, is there any questions before we wrap up? Yes. Um, it has good foundations, and Western Price is very much uh, high fat. Yep. So look, um, again, I don't mean to uh, offend vegans, um, but they will become one percent. I was about to say dumber. That's not a very nice way to put it. <laughs> Every year. And that's not, that's not because of any fault of theirs, other than the fact that our brain is dominantly fat. Our brain size, compared to the rest of the body in the animal kingdom, um, is very, very big, and it is fat. And the only thing that can replenish it, which it replenishes every seven years, is animal fat. Animal fat is your best friend. Animal fat is your best friend. Bone broths are your best friend. Fasting is the world's best medicine, to be quite honest. Not long ago, I did a 14-day fast, and I lost two weeks. No, no, seriously. <laughs> and the only two weeks that I did a fast is the only time my wife wanted to go to cafes. Seriously, so we went to all these cafes, and I think it was because, you know, the, the, the mandates ended. And here I was sitting, not eating anything while she's stuffing her face. Yeah, so fasting is just beautiful. Prolonged fasting. Anything, anything under 72 to two hours is, is not good enough. It's got to be over 72 hours. Any other questions? Um, someone over there? Could you comment on the um, early treatments? What sort of shock did that give the powers that be when they found that it didn't work? Getting in and treating early. To, to the powers to be? Uh, so so what, did I sh what shocked? Well, they must have been very upset about it. The, the people, my clients? No, no just, you know, who's, in, who's controlling things? Because those early treatments of, you know, Dr. McCullough and Malone talk about, hmm. they worked, didn't they? Well, a lot of things worked, and yet um, they've been demonised like that. Oh, another really important thing is that the government wants to pass another health bill. And um, and it's going to be pretty tough. Did you did you know already? Oh, you know they've they've passed these ridiculous laws like you can't share vegetables with your neighbours and things like that. You know we we've, got, we've really got to be awake to these things. And and we well I, I'm going to be making more videos. By the way, just 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 um, as a, as a quick side point, it's going to be official now that there's going to be a, a new channel within the counterspin. I've already made them quite a few videos, but there's going to be a sort of a new channel, and I'm going to be interviewing a lot of academics regarding that type of information about the laws, about what's going on. Um, but the government wants to pass uh, bills. You know, look, often I'll go and speak to a, a nutritionist, and, the, and they'll say, ah, oh, the government's taken this herb off us. And yet, look at Coca-Cola and all the poisons in that. You know, do, does anyone know... Um, does anyone know how wheat bix and bread and all that sort of stuff's made? Can I give you a quick, a real brief history of, of this? Okay, first of all, this has been validated by a number of farmers who, who come in with bowel cancer, by the way, and they're cropping farmers. The um, 
the seed that they use uh, for, for growing grains has been modified uh, many thousands of times. Uh, they're dipped in fungicide before they plant. Fungicide is a proven carcinogenic antibiotic. Every two to three weeks, they're sprayed with herbicides and pesticides, a proven carcinogenic antibiotic. Just before harvest, they spray it with Roundup to kill it, so it's all nice and dry when it's harvested. So you've got this grain which is just brimming of poison and antibiotics. And you're probably thinking, goodness me, William, things couldn't get worse than that. <laughs> well, wait, there's more. They now send this to the flour mill. In some flour mills, they put it in a big silo and they put chemicals in to fumigate it. Now, uh, soon they do. Um, then what they do is times money. So instead of stone grounding it, they now put it through for some really high-speed processes, which puts a centrifugal force, which puts a voltage drop across the, the flour, which kills the enzymes and the nutrients. Then they bleach it. Thank you. And then apparently, I've, I've not witnessed this, but apparently some flour mills, there's a fine sort of misty fly spray type thing, I don't know what it is, when the flour goes into the sack. So flour... It's to stop weevil. That's it. So, so flour is an antibiotic. Flour is an insulin bump, or sorry, insulin spike. It is a toxic poison. Okay? And you think, oh, God, stop him. I actually had a mother tell me to stop at this point when her son had Crohn's disease. And I was trying to tell them how bad Weebix was. She didn't want to hear it. I said, well, wait a minute. This flour now is sent to the bakery. And they put lots of chemicals in it to make it rise faster, to, to make it look good. But they want it to last longer. So what do they put in? A preservative. Now, what does a preservative do? Stops the bacteria, doesn't it? So it's an antibiotic. Yeah? Now, one thing that the medical industry, well, they're grudgingly recognising it recently, but we are full of bacteria on our skin. What stupidness it is to clean your, your, your hands with a 99. That's, that's all your immune system gone right there. The stupidity of, of using Colgate toothpaste, uh, which strips all your good um, bacteria and poisons you with fluoride and lorotophate acid. Um, and, and so we're eating these wheat bixes and these breads and what they're doing is they're doing a number of things. First of all, they're killing all the good bacteria. Because remember how I keep on mentioning antibiotics? So it's killing all your gut flora. It's poisoning your system. It's, it's allowing bad bacteria to get into your blood. Hence, the, hence skin conditions and, and all these autoimmune diseases. I don't even know how we got on that subject. But that's just... That's just I'm just talking about bread and flour. Yeah. And, and, and so carbs like that are, are the most evil things you could you know, eat, essentially. Now, just before I invite uh, um, Calvin and, and Hannah back up, any other questions? So I'm William Bissett from the Bryland Functional Medicine Centre. Uh, Philip, and we, we, we've, got the, we've got the Timaru branch here in Glenetti, and we've opened up a big uh, clinic in uh, Christchurch. Uh, we have a big hall there, so it's been very active doing this type of thing. Uh, and um, if you've got any questions, uh, just um, yeah, look at our website, brylin.co.nz, and I'll hand it back to Calvin and Hannah. Wow. Who would have guessed, eh? You haven't got a health system, you've got an illness maintenance system. 
Besides, you can't get repeat customers unless you're getting poisoned. Yeah, so has anybody actually seen the way that the uh, medical industry started with Big Pharma and uh, the Rockefellers, eh? Way back when? When they, at the turn of the century, they wanted to push the pharmaceuticals and then they approached the universities who had doctors at the time, but of course they were the homeopaths, the chiropractors, the osteopaths and all the herbalists. And of course their departments weren't doing very well, so the Rockefellers offered them a whole lot of money but the condition was that they had to be able to put their people on the board, and that's how they started pushing the, the synthetic pharmaceuticals. So there's very good uh, documentaries you can watch about that. And then it starts all making sense about how they've built the system that we then put so much trust in, because they took us away from the natural side of things, and now we are sitting there all going, wow, we had so much trust, and uh, what do we do now? And that was one thing I want to comment, is that it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to say, I was raised this way or I was given all this data and information and I believe this one thing, but now I've had, maybe some of you have had some penny drops from th these talks. Okay, I was wrong. Now it's about rebuilding my own belief system or my own, it's, I mean, a belief system is just a belief, isn't it? But it, true knowledge is based on facts and evidence. So maybe we were fed a whole lot of beliefs um, and learning to admit we were wrong, which is one of the hardest things to do, uh, is then a good foundation to start finding new facts and evidence, or true facts and evidence, so that you can then have the courage to stand up and speak, and then hopefully we can all create a free, a truly free world. Problem is we don't trust our guts anymore. Maybe it's because we've had too much flour. Are <laughs> oh, you... That was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of universities, as you know, I mean, it was stated a long time ago, give me a child and I'll turn out tomorrow's man type thing. Um, or worse to that effect. But it's all about conditioning, as we know. And the world is run by people who have degrees. It's not working out for us too well. The best discoveries of any kind have always come from the, the so-called uneducated. That's just a fact. No new um, creative thought process comes out from within a system. It's always someone on the outside who breaks that mould and then pushes the barriers and then that becomes the new normal. We have to become the new normal. We have to go back to basics, back to get our future. Because going into the future to get it is just not going to work. Unless you're a machine. Plug in. But then the power's going to go out anyway soon. No fertiliser, no food, no fuel for your cars. They want you to have a EV that can't be recycled, that does major um, environmental damage, just getting the rare earth minerals to produce them. And yet, every year they say to us, the, the hydroelectrics can't handle the capacity of what we've got now. Yeah, they should stop draining them, so deliberately. Making a million cars into it. Exactly. So it's just ridiculous, it's never going to happen. What they'll have to do is start the coal fire plants up again, put the old diesel generators again, just to power your electric motor generators to plug in. Incredible. So basically, a lot of degrees, are, I sort of put it like this, it's, it's, a, it's a way for them to say, well done, you've now repeated the information we gave you in a prescribed manner, you're well and truly brainwashed to this degree, now off you go. And you repeat the same crap we've been repeating for years. 
No one wants to think outside the box. Why? Because you get attacked. You don't become popular. You suddenly, black, white, green or brindle, become a white supremacist. <laughs> or you have imported ideology. Or, hang on, I've got a laundry list here. Or if you're brown, the white supremacists has, have somehow indoctrinated you and that's that under your, you, that under your spell. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. Now, when, when one seeks to elevate themselves, and this isn't going to be popular um, with most people, I don't really care if anyone snows me, I just don't, really. I'll say what I think. Now, hey, fuck a putanga. Hey, fuck a putanga, right? Good document. But unfortunately, a lot of people waving the flag have never read it. It's a pyramidical structure. Let me give you a brief. Article 1 Sovereignty of the Maori nation shall be exercised exclusively through the chiefs and heads of hapu. That's it. No we mentioned or anything like that. So you've got them as well. And their collective capacity upon the lands in which they occupy, they'll allow no one, no other legislative authority but those by their own hand, basically. This is paraphrasing. They all vote for Māori seats, therefore, by the legislative authority or by their own hand, they've allowed it. When have you known, know, ever known them in their collective capacity to do anything? They don't. Mana munching, tribal crap, day in and day out. Let's go straight to number four. We invite King William to be the parent guardian of our infant state and to protect us from any um, attempts upon our sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Have they ever, with one unified, vo unified voice, come together and said, cool, we've come of age, we'll take it from here? Never. never. It's never happened. And why hasn't anyone anywhere ever said, hey, Queen, can you just stand up in front of the nation for a quick minute here and just explain to everyone what the hell these documents are actually talking about, what they mean, how they apply to people? No. Why? Because they won't like the answers. Now, we can herald King William all we like, but in 1649, when King Charles had his head cut off and after being tried for treason, when his forces fought the Queen, uh, parliamentary forces and he lost, they passed a law. You can see it, British History Online, 1649. No person shall, be, shall ever declare themselves to be King of England, Ireland, or the dominions thereof. They killed it. Why do you think you have a Queen's Coronation Oath Act? It's an act of Parliament. Everything's been run through Parliament corporates ever since. The King has only come after they brought Catherine five years later from the Netherlands into um, England to give people some sort of figurehead to aspire to because everyone likes order. They like subjugation. They like being told what to do because we don't have to be responsible for ourselves anymore. We got us here because we took our foot off the gas towards the uh, way we were developing and going. Now do I say Maldives have no claim? No, that's wrong. The Hapus have a claim. The areas they were, where they were pushed off, they were robbed their future development potential. That's a crime. And they should have that restored. But can they claim the nation? No. Why? Because the Declaration of Independence was only ever found, and you will, uh, Dana Lee here, Māori, obviously, look, not white supremacist. <laughs> Although it's been stated, exactly. Was 33 chiefs, of which there were more, up north. Now the Napui says, that's our document. No, it's not. It was the Hapu's document, and only those 33 at the time. The Treaty of Waitangi was never ratified by the UK Parliament. Did anyone know that? And the Titiriti of Waitangi, good document. That should be the one we look towards. The Treaty of Waitangi is a fraud, an absolute fraud. We've proven it through forensics on the show. That's when Matiurata took it in 1975. 
politics is what's divided this nation. And that's the, the Treaty we, of Waitangi Act. To that's be right, clear, Treaty right? of Waitangi Act, 1975. That's the fraud. Where the Marxist cultural ideology is seeping Started through. Started to every creep in and get where government. you are now with the co-governance and the three waters and all that sort of thing, where they're basically stealing what you created to pass off to yet another corporation to borrow against. They get you in so much debt; it's unbelievable. They raise interest rates, unworkable regulations, and you start losing everything you thought you once had. And then they then the IMF comes and says, "Don't worry, we'll save you. We've got some restructured loans here." But all you have to do is sell all the assets to our friends. And I always say, there's five things a country should never, ever, ever give up because it feeds the lifeblood of your economy. That's your transport, communications, finance, telecommunications, and water. Everything else relies on those. So what are the first, first things they target every single time? You older people would know the Tasman pulp and paper scam, mill deal, that Muldoon got two $500,000 payments for. $100,000 delivered by Gerald Parsky, CIA, to do the White Elephant Think Big project. David Longy was on the take. Roger Douglas was on the take. Jim Bolger was on the take. So it doesn't matter whether you're blue or red. Two wings of the same corrupt bird, the same system that's been messing with you day in and day out, year in and year out, decade in, decade out. It's not going to change unless you change it. You are the change, exactly. And as far as religious institutions, I have no problem with faith. People and faith, perfect. Institutionalized religion, bullshit. Because these people are the ones who, say, who read everything wrong. They think they're the middleman who can tell you, don't worry about the, what you're suffering now, because it's going to be fine over there. It's a lot of mentality. If all of those religious people got out of their damn churches, rolled up their sleeves, and do what they're praying to have done, this nation would be fixed tomorrow. But it doesn't happen. Why? Because we want someone else to do it. We give away our power every day to some bullshit politician who's got no vested interest in you or your life or your well-being. It's all about their pockets. Or we give it to a trinket on the wall. We think some uh, shining knight and shiny armor is going to come down on a white horse and save us. But usually we're disappointed because we find out some prick in rusty metal trying to do us in. And that's how it works. That's the life we've, cre and we've created it because we allowed someone else to spin us a yarn because it sounded good. So what's the solution? You're the solution. You've got to go back to basics. Yeah. Go back to your local communities. It should always be local solutions for local problems. Wellington can't decide for anything for you here. You must decide. I would go back, have relationships with farmers, people in the building industry, electronics, you name it, all working together, network, it's the only way it's going to be. Go back to where you don't need $50,000 million for something. Go back to a time where it was like the old borough councils where you can fix a bulb for two bucks and a half an hour instead of $10 million because of all the bloody resource management act adherences and all these damn committees you've had to do in order to look at the problem. It's a bulb. We do have a local body election coming up this year, just in case you didn't know, in October. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, if you can, take it back. Take a photo of all your ballots, because they'll probably rig it. But at least we can start having the conversations on those platforms, right? Yep. If people feel like, you know, they've got the passion and the drive. It's, that's one avenue. There's other people doing, you know, the common law, living law, 
KOD, all sorts. There's all sorts of types of solutions, I suppose. It's but it's okay to be angry. See, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't allow you to be. They don't allow you to be angry and express that anger. Get angry. Because, you know, let's face it, we do have thoughts of kicking the damn politicians' doors down, dragging them out, and hanging them off in the nearest lampposts. We do feel this. Doesn't mean we're going to do it, though. Yes, mainstream media. <laughs> but we seriously it. think it. But remember, think you have... while it's still legal, people. Yeah, because that's got to be out soon. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Some Māori. Some, yeah. Yep, yep. Didn't quite say that. Talk about Māori You can't. I can fuck a papa into four different iwi, so you won't be able to do that anyway. Plus, I helped the Māori government set up in Station Red Odahu in the year 2000. I'm the only one who's ever used a Māori passport successfully twice overseas, and I've done more for, in cases that I took myself to the Court of Appeal than anybody else. So there's no white supremacy there. I think the point that was being made is that um, within Māoridom and within iwi as well, there is uh, corporate corruption. And that's not allowed to be said because that will then be deemed racist. That's right. So, so what, um, what, please don't use Māori as a It's not. Hang no, on, it uh, wasn't. Dana, do you want to address that? So this is the no, no, leave it. Yeah, come up. Yeah, come up. We're having actually the conversation. Yeah. Danny, do you want to? Come here, Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we want to be able to hear you. Danny, do you want to come and address? Okay, so this this is a really important uh, exploration. Because this can I this just, is the divide. Can I just say something? Because um, we live in a society where it's okay to be offended, and um, it's still okay for you to offend and us to say something that's offensive. But this is what the government doesn't want you to be able to do. Okay, so this is why they're bringing in um, political correctness. But um, we are trying to show that you can have conversations, and um, there was. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is that we, we all, we, whoops, okay, there's this oneness, all right, we all souls, I agree, but thank God we are all unique. Thank God we're all unique. We were, we were born with DNAs, and you know, you come from Scotland, wherever, so do I. What I am saying is, please, we must be respectful and not blanket bad behaviours and label a race. To that's all I'm saying. And I appreciate your work, everybody's work, because one cause really, we, want, we all want to be free, we want to be sovereign. That's my point. I'm not getting into the politics of whether he Putanga or common law is the right path for you. It's up to us to make our own journey, right? So I'm not getting into that I agree or disagree about this or that was more the point about labelling Māori rather than saying, just as there is in non-Māori, 
that there are corrupt, corrupt individuals, that's it. Who we could probably call black supremacists if you wanted to go there. However, this is an issue. No. As soon as Pākehā says something no, with regards that. to Māori, immediately people take offence. However, you don't see it the other way around. Now, the fact of the matter is there are mana munches within Māori. The fact of the matter is there are very corrupt layers within Māori and we address both Māori and Pākehā. So, you know, the, with regards to a sensitive topic, that's actually one of the issues within this country is that people are too soft. You know, it's why we have such a weak people. You actually need to harden up and stop taking offence at every little thing. You know, once upon a time, these things didn't used to affect us in the way that they do. I remember my parents, you know, I remember you used to be able to call a Pākehā honky and it wasn't taking offence. It was just, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't something painful. It wasn't offensive. Now we just get so worked up over any little thing. These things must be addressed and we must hear it out fairly. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about what you're saying. This is not a racial thing. This is about no, no, labelling. wasn't a racial thing. This is about labelling a race, but not actually identifying and saying there are corrupt people. And I, I agree. I absolutely agree. But just please be respectful because that kind of talk can actually turn non-Māori against Māori who could be wearing a good hat. Then they That's need to what it wake up. Because that means that they okay. then caught within that loop. It's just about respect. All right. Yep. And it's ultimately uh, that we have the respect for each other, and we can um, respectfully offend each other. You know, because otherwise we're never going to be able to talk. And I think um, that was a respectful conversation and this is what the left doesn't want us to have and that's why they'll never come and talk to us. We invited um, Byron C. Clark, who is one of the trolls online who's now um, deemed a disinformation expert. He won't even come and talk to us because they call us whatever they want to call us and they don't want to bridge the divide and actually have a conversation. So conversations can be awkward um, but at this point it's much better than not talking to each other right and all of us in this room we're never going to 100% agree on everything and um, it's important that you know we have the conversation okay hey we're going to get offended some feelings are going to get hurt sometimes but that is life and uh, we're growing we're raising a snowflake generation which is what's happening in the education system where everybody has to manage what they say because they don't want to hurt your feelings well I'm sorry but I can't be responsible for everybody's feelings in this room okay yeah so it's okay to be offended it's okay to be offended the world doesn't end and um, we can still be friends at the end of the day, okay? That's yep. the main... Uh, and another point... Yes. That's right. And another point, another point we were talking about as well is the thing that I get offended with, but um, I Here won't cry go. about it, is that it's just like this whole whakaputanga thing. If you come under us, then basically somehow we become relevant. 
I was relevant from the day I drew my first breath. As we all were, as we all were, regardless of race, colour, creed. That's right. Um, and just before we do wrap up, I do want to mention one thing um, because it has come up again tonight, and that is the Bain murders. And the reason why I bring that up um, now at the end, because if you haven't already, uh, I suggest going to the Ian Wishart magazine of 2007. Does anybody know the article that I'm talking about? Yeah, so that uh, is an article that really encapsulates how this whole corrupt system actually operates. And if you're not familiar with that, that was the 1980s pedophile ring that was investigated and covered up down in Dunedin. By Michael Cullen. By Michael Cullen, and, and, and he rose to great heights in politics after that. Okay, and that involved politicians, lawyers, um, police, and it also involved David Bain's sister because she was part of the young girls servicing the police. So there's a whole other story to that that we haven't actually gone down, but it's not easy bedtime reading, but yes, the house got burnt down because they were looking for a video that allegedly involves high-level New Zealand politicians that have now gone on to do very well overseas and they are now actually influencing the current Prime Minister. Yeah. Okay? So we don't have a copy of that, but that is what... Um, it's in Australia at the moment. There's a documentary being made on it. Yeah, so that is apparently... Apparently there's five or so copies of it that were actually made and um, they couldn't find it, so they had to burn the house down. And that happened quite soon after the murders. So... <laughs> it's all linked... Yeah. It's all linked. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I say, not an easy read, but if you really want the truth, 2007, Ian Wishart, it's online, it's, it's available. And um, that is what also this Dark to Light tour that Carleen Hedioda will be on, just to kind of tie it back and come full circle. A lot of what she talks about as, as part of this whole corrupt network. And um, unfortunately, that is going to be, I believe, the final piece of this whole puzzle that is going to wake the sleeping masses up because when that information comes out, nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with the abuse and torture of children. That is not right in anybody's books. doesn't matter what colour you're from, what, what education level, what economic level, but that is morally obscene, needs to be stopped, and um, it, once that is all exposed, I think, you know, then we can, the true healing can start. So, on that note, I'm going to say one more thing. Last night, did anybody watch what happened in Tauranga? It was a really good uh, event with the Freedom Rights Coalition, uh, Sue Gray, and a whole lot of um, other independents there who are standing for the by-election. And that's what it's all about. It's all about us uniting. It doesn't matter what level you're at level you're on or what um, part of the spectrum you are on in your awakening process, but it is about us all coming together and I think uh, that was a really good start. Party politics needs to be banned. You need to decentralise power back into your local communities. You need to elect people who know what the hell they're doing, not these other people who are like, say, accountants and you put them as, as minister of you know, the army. It doesn't work. So farmers should be head of... Um, and not these plastic farmers either. I'm talking about real soul-of-the-earth farmers, the ones who know what they're doing. Hey, they, they should be Minister of Bloody, um, what is it, M the MPI, you know? You should have um, good cops. You know, bring back the ones that they hounded out 
Well, the little jackboot thugs came in. Well, they got brainwashed. Bring the old sergeants back who'd kick you up the ass and tell you to go and, you know, wash off your tagging in front of the people, which is sometimes worse punishment than actually getting run in. Put those types of people as minister of police. Not this idiot down there, or Costa, who wasn't even in the top five to get that job. I personally think Short should have got that job. He's a lot more uh, decent and a lot less corrupt. Yes, Costa, I'm calling you corrupt. And all these other ministers, I mean, and, and we could go through it. The, the medical council who are going after the doctors speaking out with science, they should be up on charges with everybody else, aiding and abetting and democide, crimes against humanity. The academics, like we offer to Dunedin shortly, and that's one of the bedrocks of um, the mis and disinformation there. So we'll be making a special call out for those clowns. Academia. And I think um, Amy Benjamin, former senior law lecturer at Auckland at, at AUT, put it perfectly. She said, the top of all of these institutions need to be decapitated. Take Not literally. <laughs> Although that's a bloody good thought. Let's face it, we all think this. They should have their heads chopped off, but, you know, metaphorically speaking. And then let the real people who are in these professions to do good come to the fore. And I think we'll be a hell of a lot better off, seriously. Actually, for once, I'll give you the last word. Well, no, I was just going to see if there's anybody here that uh, wants to ask a question before we go. You've all been very patient and you've sat very, um, very well, and I know it's getting cold, but if anyone's got a burning question uh, or a burning statement to make, you're welcome to come up. No, you're all ready to go? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, 